power on. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Woo! You know, I heard a great joke the other day. So, a Pakmara and a Vorlon walk into a bar. No, never mind. <laughs> That's not a real joke, but uh, you're just looking at me. Vorlons don't drink. They don't even, they're not even corporeal. Are they even walking? Uh, it looks uh, like they're floating. Yeah, uh, I don't want to give too much away. Anyway, <laughs> woo uh, Well, anyway, of course, you just realized that you are listening to Sovereign Tech, and we've got all kinds of science and tech news to get into, and I am not alone. The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sav Zhu, is not here on his lonesome. He is here with the astonishing, the incomparable Ellen Sovereign herself. And of course, welcome to the show once again. Thank you for having me on again so soon, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost been like every other episode you've been on. I don't mind that pace. I don't know how you <laughs> feel about it. I like it. Let's yeah, keep I mean, it up. I know you're a very busy gal, but. Uh, but I like fat life in the fast lane. Life in the fast lane. <laughs> All right. Let's keep this fast pace going. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we did just get done watching Babylon 5. You know, we might talk a little bit about that later on because I want to hear where you're at. We just watched interludes and examinations, and anybody that knows, knows what's going on there. But we'll we'll save that for later. Like I said, we got lots of science and tech news to get into. Um, but I know you have a very busy schedule. Uh, in fact, <laughs> so so it's amazing that you're on. And actually, people, I just recorded. You were sitting nearby. In fact, you heard there was a woo from Ellen in, this, uh, in that episode. I just recorded a... Uh, a guide to retro gaming on the PlayStation 2. Burn all of your own games for free. You never have to buy another game again. And look, folks, I mean, come on. It's not like Sony's making money off of those discs anyway. Anymore. But uh, on that, I actually hinted at it. It's like, well, maybe we'll have Ellen on in the next episode. And here you are. Yeah, in a bizarre twist of events, I agreed. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, I want to talk about Again, we've got some tech news really to open this up with. Then we got some really interesting stories that, that you've discovered, as you do. Um, but why don't we open this up with uh, what, again, has become tradition whenever you're on the show, which is let's talk about what we're reading. Uh, do, do you want to start this one off or do you want me to start off this time? 
Well, it's going to be more of a discussion about what you're reading, because I think you're reading enough for the both of us. Right now, that happens. Um, I'm just reading my textbook. Well, what are you reading? <laughs> it's called Introduction to Chemical Engineering Thermodynamics by Smith Van Ness and Abbott. What are you, some kind of scientist? Almost. <laughs> just give me a few more months. Just, just a few more months, <laughs> and then you're gold. Yeah, and then I'll have the certificate to prove it. I mean, I already have one, but I'm mm-hmm. getting a second one, so... Okay. Um, yeah. Well, tell me about the book. What's what's the score here? I mean, thermodynamics. I mean, we get that, but but go for it. Uh, I I don't <laughs> think I can condense a three month course down to like a thirty second description. What's in your way? Entropy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Entropy is the way. Uh-huh. It's time zero. Ooh, there we go. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I mean, actually, your your walls. Are like in the in our bedroom uh, downstairs. There's just you know these kinds of textbooks all over the place, all different editions. Like you're the kind of person, and I love this. You're the kind of person that like you know I guess this happens at universities. I don't spend much time at them, so I don't exactly know. But they'll have free books out right for you to to pick up. Does this on happen? occasion? Yeah, on occasion. sometimes you know somebody's cleaning out their office and they've got an entire bookcase of books that they've never used except to you know, look good and make right. it look like they're being productive while they're in there. Right. And so usually that happens. And then we end up for some reason having to buy a new bookcase because. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. I'll like, you know, I'll go to go to the university with nearly an empty backpack and I'll come home with it weighing 40 pounds because I bought every free book that I was interested in. And I just buy them online sometimes, too. Like I'll go searching for textbooks for things that I'm not even majoring in, but I just want to know. Oh, it's amazing some of the books I see that that, that arrive in the mail. Uh, what do you use? Do you use a- Abe Books? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Tell I me actually, about this. I really love Abe Books. Um, and this it's is A-B-E. B yes. is in Brian. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Keep going. Um, it's, it's a used book website, um, mm-hmm. but it seems to have just about everything. And um, it really low prices, too. Like, I get some of my used textbooks for like two or three dollars. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing. Uh, and, and I've seen some of what is that? What is that DK book that you got about animals? You got a couple. Of oh, them. I got this. So there's a beautiful print edition that the Smithsonian did mm-hmm. of uh, it's just called Animal. And it's essentially a guide to every major family of animals in the world. Um, and it's got these amazing photographs and there's little illustrations and they have it's like one of those books that you used to love reading as a kid that has like five different snippet cutout paragraphs yeah. on every page Yeah, where it's like talking about classification and then like this new thing that they discovered recently and a blurb about preserving the ecosystem. It's just it's like it's really fun to read because there's so much eye candy on every page. Now, what what was the year? What because you you got two copies. Um, I know you you did the great honor of perhaps sharing one with somebody. But what what were the years on these? So the first one that I got, I believe, was like two thousand three to two thousand five, and the second one was printed closer to two thousand eleven. And I have to say, the older one from two thousand three was much better quality print uh-huh. than the newer one. The colors were richer, right? Yeah, the ink was, uh, it was so rich in color. And the pages were actually really thick and kind of like plasticky. They were very firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the the text itself, 
was written in a font that I like, uh, where it uses the serif. And right. the newer one was using sans serif. And I was looking at them and comparing them. And I was like, why do I like this one better than the other one? And it got us talking about fonts. <laughs> yeah, we ended up having like a two-hour conversation about fonts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was, yeah, serif is a funny thing. Uh, be, I mean, it's a great thing. I love serif. I mean, one of the things I love like about my Kindle is uh, it's a Kindle Oasis, is that you can choose the, the the different fonts. And I always choose a font with serif because serif is basically that little line at the bottom uh, of a, you know, of a letter, of a character. Or sometimes at the top. Too. Or sometimes at the top, yeah. And the concept is, is that it keeps your line of sight going in the direction, you know, to the next word, to the next letter, to the next word, and so on, right? Yeah, it makes the text look very uh, linear, Right, right. It's to help you read it, you know, help help you help with the information flow, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see where maybe it causes issues with speed reading, but ultimately I think speed reading's bullshit anyway, as far as like, you know, with your eyes. I mean, with your ears, that's a different story, but, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I've heard people say that you can absorb just as much speed reading as you can reading at regular speed, and I don't think that's true. I mean, to really process something, I think you need to read every word and and like comprehend what's happening and how they are connecting in the sentence. Yeah, I think it's bullshit. Uh, I know. And I know the tricks. I know people talk about there's different tricks. I mean, the main thing that they say to read faster, I wouldn't call it speed reading. I mean, ultimately, I don't even think speed reading really exists. Not where you take in the complete text, because so, and you see, you didn't think you'd have books to talk about during the Saga Tech Book Club. <laughs> Here we are. Um, but like the trick to speed read is to read down the middle. That's that's the the argument of how you speed read something. But then you really don't get everything. And the idea is you just get the essential information. Now, a way you can increase your speed in reading is to get rid of the voice in your head. Right. Like like to, you know, because a lot of and I even I do this. When you're reading a book with your eyes, when you're reading a book, um, you know, like you're reading it in your head and you're hearing it in your head. Right. If you can get rid of that and there's little tricks that you can do to, to do that, you know, you can use like a pointer or things like this, that that is a way to increase the speed with which you read. That does not equate to what people consider speed reading. Um, now, the funny thing is, is that really what most people do? like your entrepreneurs that supposedly read every fucking book by XYZ personality who really means nothing is they read the introduction and the last chapter, but they'll tell you they read the whole goddamn thing. Wow. I mean, that's better than what I thought they did, which was read the Wikipedia page or spark notes. Oh, there's certainly plenty of that too. Yeah. But I mean, that's my point is that there really is. I don't think there really is such a thing as speed reading a book to completion, like like as a whole. Yeah, like if you were to ask somebody detailed questions about the book, I don't think they would be able to answer them. Or right. even like comprehension of very complex ideas being presented. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that takes a hit too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's something like with Audible books, I think you can kind of pull off a trick where you just listen for the important information and you let a lot of other stuff kind of just flutter in the breeze. You know, and I suppose that's somewhat similar, but then I would never like claim that to be any kind of speed reading uh, of any kind. That's more you hunting for what you're looking for and what you're listening to. Uh, that's, that's a very different situation. So go ahead. Yeah. And I find it interesting um, because something that I've 
kind of learned while listening to audible books at higher speeds, uh, which is something that you encouraged me to do because um, apparently you listen to everything at 2.5x. Around there, yeah. Um, so, like, initially I, I bumped up the speed that I was listening to things to 1.5, and over time I adapted to where I could hear it and it sounded like it was normal speed and I could right. comprehend what was going on and remember everything. Um, then I tried moving up even faster to 2x, and as much as I tried, I just couldn't get the same level of comprehension out of that as I could with the 1.5. So I think there's a limit to how fast you can push things before you really start suffering the information absorption. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if it's a book that's very detail-oriented and I'm really trying to soak it in, I can't do 2.5. Like, I, I, will, I will definitely scale it down to 2 and below. Um, if it's sometimes I listen to books at one X. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, Hey, how about it? You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's some books where yeah, 2.5 is, is fine, you know, but often those really are the books where I'm basically just looking for the high notes, you know? Uh, so you're doing the speed reading of the audio world. Yeah. But the thing is, is that a lot of modern books, even fiction is all kind of BS anyway. Like, like you don't even you don't even need the, the whole book. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I think it's a bad thing. You know, uh, we, we could get sidetracked into an entire conversation around this. And it's one that doesn't need to be had right now. But bottom line being the good old fashioned way, there's no such thing really as speed reading. Like, I, I just don't I don't think that exists. And I'm sure somebody's going to email me because um, we get reactions sometimes from these book clubs. In fact, I got some nasty uh, emails uh, because they they were some people were very offended by the recommendation of um, the courage to be disliked. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah. Oh, they did not let they they went and read it even, and um, they did not like the fact that, that like this whole idea that there isn't trauma. Oh, triggered. I mean, they 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 didn't like that oh. at all. Oh. Um, well, that that is a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in Adlerian psychology that's very difficult to swallow. You know, no doubt. Um, but. Regardless, uh, so I mean, you know, pe people do people do react to these things, and I'm sure somebody's going to say, "Oh no, no, no! There's this guy; he can speed read, and he can actually repeat it all back to you, and all this stuff." Well, okay, so maybe there's some genetic freaks out there, and I say that with respect. Geniuses, uh, yeah, great, you know. But but for like, if you want to talk about people on average, um, I mean, and even that runs into a problem. No, speed reading doesn't exist. There's like, there's no tricks to that sort of thing. I mean, g give me a break. So. Anyway, uh, did you have any thoughts on that? Um, no, I mean, thank you for sharing that feedback about the courage to be disliked. I, I didn't realize that people were actually triggered by that or offended. Well, I'll tell you, there, there's a lot of people in this, in circles that Sovereign Tech as a show has been a part of in the past. And, you know, certainly large chunks. Uh, I mean, we, you know, this show has an audience in the five digits and the thousands and thousands. Um, there's a lot of different circles that it runs in, but in some of those circles, there's big business behind trauma. You know, like, I mean, there's people making their life's blood, making their money and everything off of uh, uh, dealing with other people's traumas. And so I, I, I am, I'm not surprised uh, quite frankly, I knew that that statement was going to be shocking. I didn't say it for shock. The only reason I listened to the book is because you recommended it. It wasn't because like, oh, I am looking to disprove the concept of trauma. Well, 
well, you know. even when I read that, at first I was triggered, but then I took a moment to think about it and actually hear out his argument. Yeah. Um, you know, listening to the whole book really helps. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I understood where he was coming from. And whether you agree with it or not, I I mean, I would hope that people actually hear what is trying to be said mm-hmm. um, and not just, you know, react. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're books with... And and I'm always careful about, and I was critical of this with the book, that, like, the first book ends with, uh, uh, you know, it's simple, right? Like, that. that's that's basically what it says at the very end. I'm like, oh, no, no, don't say that. Nothing's simple. Not like that. Uh, <laughs> and, but they are very simple. They Simple is an okay term to use. They are practical solutions and concepts. Um. And you usually can't make money off of practical, simple solutions to things. You know, I mean, like another book series or another author we've talked about often when we do our little book club here at the beginning of an episode when you're on uh, is Dr. Michael Greger. He hammers it home over and over again and how not to die, how not to diet every single book that the reason you are not being told by a doctor to do X, Y, Z is because they can't make money off of it. Right. You know, and 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 th- and this is this is the reality and this is just as true in psychology, psychiatry, you know, th- therapy go down the list uh, of of your I mean it's it's true almost in every in every industry. And boy, I could go on a whole tear about profit motive, but I'm not going to right now. Um so I'm just I'm not surprised because uh, there's people who their their bread and butter, you know, again relies upon the notion, the concept of trauma, and that people need to get fixed. And well, there it is. But what do you got? Um, I, I'm just surprised. I, I didn't know that there were people looking to profit from it that were responding to that to that show. It sounds like that's what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they, they they did not they did not dig. I mean, and this is par for the course for me. I always bring up wacky ass shit, you know? And, yeah. And, and, and you get lots of haters. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this <laughs> is like, I mean, part of the, <laughs> a lot of the things that we talk about, especially like even just during the book club part that we, that you and I do, um, the power just went out for a second there. I think we're okay. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and in fact, I, I do this often. Um, in fact, somebody, you, you were there when, 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 uh, when I received it, somebody sent a book scanner to me. Uh, off yeah. of my Amazon wish list. You were overjoyed. You were so happy. Oh, I was ecstatic because this is the th- this is what I do, folks. I go out and find the books and I scan them and I make them available for everybody to be able to read as well. That seem to have been lost to time. That might have had, frankly, really solid, brilliant, pertinent information in it that stands up right now. And sometimes I wonder, not that I think there's any kind of grand conspiracy. If there's any conspiracy, it's just stupidity. And I mean, as in stupidity is the conspiracy, okay? Um, Not that I believe anything like that, but I think there's a lot of people who, you know, just engage in cognitive dissonance, much like when they are presented with a argument that claims there's no trauma. Oh, no, no, no. You know what I mean? And, And they won't go on. They can't go on. Uh, I have read books recently, you know, talking about the books that I've read where, I mean, I have been stunned at some of the things and things that they're books that I read. I don't know how much detail I need to go with them, but they're books that I read 
where I'm reading it and, and you, you know, because like I, I'm rushing into the room or whatever and, and just going, <gasps> you know, <laughs> like we're just stunned with this information that I find where there's things that I think, I mean, personally, I believe everything is a remix. I don't think there's anything really new under the sun. All right. Um, but there are things that I thought I more or less independently, not that others couldn't have come up with it as well, but that I ind- independently came to the, these conclusions. And then I read a book from 200, 250 years ago. And someone else said it. And you know what? And one of the worst problems is that I think the only reason that no one else ever talks about it or brings up these books or bothers to share these books is because, oh, dear, they must have some term in front of their uh, or in front of their name or some kind of descriptor, you know, uh, that that we just we can't fucking take, you know. So why don't you talk about these books that you're reading? This is the book club. It's your turn to share which books you're reading. Uh, <laughs> if you're willing to. I know some of them are kind of obscure. Very obscure. Um, but important. And I think I think there's a there's a lot to take away from them. I mean part of I guess it doesn't really matter. We can talk about anything, you know, during the book club. Yeah. But well here, I'll just all right, fine. Um one of the one of the books I've been reading lately is by a guy who is called America's first anarchist. Now you'd think that's a big deal. Yeah. yeah, You would, you would think everybody would be talking about this guy, especially like in some of our circles who are more of a uh, freedom bent or a libertarian bent uh, or, or an anarchist bent or whatever. Never heard this guy's name uttered fucking once. Never, never, ever, ever have I heard him uttered once. In fact, guy who I have, whose name I have heard uttered often is a person named Benjamin Tucker. Benjamin Tucker was a very famous American anarchist. Uh, and he basically said, this is this guy whose name I haven't said yet is the guy that started it all. This guy was, you know, pre everybody. Like he was the man. How, how, especially, yeah, and, and you know, We've run in these similar circles, you and I, Ellen. We've been to these events. We've been in places, and you've seen them, where there's tables full of all these books about, you know, economic theory and uh, and anarchism and, and you know, uh, individual freedom and, and all this. Oh, all this sure. Kind of We've rubbed shoulders with all the the anarchists, the libertarians of the voluntarists. Hundreds and hundreds. Of we really people. have over yes. the years. We really, I mean, rub shoulders is putting it mildly. Well, sometimes we're rubbing more than just shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know those are stories for other times. But <laughs> how do these names not come up? How does a name like Gustav Landauer not come up? How does a name like Josiah Warren, who is specifically who I'm talking about, how does that name not come up? And, and and I'll admit this. So I've been reading this guy that there's there's a person a few years ago. They put together a collection and I, and I don't mean like that. They did this in 2015. And so we were out of circles. And so we didn't know and nobody else knew. No, no, no. This was done in the early aughts that this book came out. Uh, it's called The Practical Anarchist, The Writings of, Jis- of Josiah Warren. Now, I don't agree with everything. And I mean, I don't think anybody should agree with every, anybody 100 percent necessarily, you know, Um I, I don't agree with with everything that Josiah Warren lays out, but I'm reading this shit and I'm going, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. That no, that's exactly what I mean. You know, like I mean he, he like his concept of that freedom, personal freedom, comes down to one thing. How many options do you have? It's all about options. It's all about choices. You know, you, you do not have a, you know, don't have this grand master plan of what a stateless society looks like and all this stuff. You're Everybody's going to enact it differently and you let it happen organically. You just have to create the framework where they have the most choice. They have the most options. This is what I've been saying for a fucking decade on this show, right? And nobody, you know, I, I never hear anybody else talk like that. I never hear it come up ever again. You know, it just, it just doesn't happen. And I thought... Well, I'm like, I guess I'm the person carrying this banner. No one else is bothering to write or say this or anything along those lines. And then I find out, no, 200 years ago in the 1820s, this guy, you know, this little American dude out of Boston was laying it all out long before. And anarchists at the time knew it. There's, there are a lot of other things within this. This book is fucking amazing. And, and, and it proves a point that... There is, there, there's a couple points that it proves. One, I'm not exactly comfortable in laying out just now because I don't know how, how much everybody's ready for it. But one of the points that it brings up, see, he existed before there was a left-right paradigm in the United States. And his writings basically show that anarchism eventually gets trapped in, a, in that left-right paradigm. Even though it claims to be outside of it, it ends up getting trapped. And you can, of course, see it today with anarcho-communists versus anarcho-capitalists and all this stuff. There is an anarchism that exists outside of that, outside of that entire concept. And Josiah Warren, and I would argue there's others, Max Stirner, go down the list of them, um, who they exist outside of it. You know, uh, another point that it brings up is that it, it proves, like the term socialism, before the 1950s, there's no set definition. There, the, in fact, that word means basically nothing. All it means is like dealing with society. It has nothing to do with communism or any of this other stuff, but oh, fucking A. I mean, I, I'm already, I'm just waiting, you know, after I release this episode, I'm just waiting for my uh, uh, questions at SovereignTech.com, folks. I'm just waiting for my email or my Twitter to blow up with people saying, oh, no, no, the socialists are, you know, and, and I mean, people are just going to be slobbering, you know, and, and foaming at the mouth just at hearing that word. Look, the word means nothing back in the day. It means jack shit, you know? But then, like the other guy I mentioned, Gustav Landauer, this guy's genius. I'm reading it, and he puts so many disparate elements together that I thought I unique, I, I had somewhat at least rarely done. No, he was doing it 150 years ago. He was so far ahead of the curve, but nobody will read him. You know why? Because when they go to look him up on Wikipedia, it's going to say he was a utopian socialist. Oh, geez. What is the, what, what is the definition of a utopian socialist? There is no definition. Just people just kind of lumped these people into these terms. Nobody knows what these terms mean. Landauer says socialist. What does he mean by socialist? You look it up. You have no fucking clue because again, it didn't mean anything. It meant a billion things. It was just a term that got tossed around. Just like anarchism for a lot of people means many different things, right? And, if I sound impassioned about this, very, it's because I feel like, uh, I don't want to say I feel lied to, but I feel like a lot of, uh, like th these writers who should have been explored, um, were purposely not 
even within anarchist circles. And probably because what they're saying, either you can't make money off of it or it doesn't fit into whatever agenda that you have, you know, uh, whatever it is. And, and it just, it, it pisses me off. It, it pisses me off so bad. So can you share with us like one sentiment that uh, either one of these people that you just mentioned says that makes them unappealing to the larger populace, but you think they got right on. I don't think there's anything that would be unappealing other than like, again, you, you can't really are. So, so Josiah Warren, and this is something that I think he was right on. In fact, I think he was 200 years ahead of the internet. Okay. Let's bring it back to tech a little bit. He was adamant that everybody should be able to be a self-publisher in the 1800s. He was saying this and he was fighting for it. This was like part of his activism, as it were, kind of like how Lysander, Lysander Spooner was big about, you know, making the Pony Express, right? An alternative mail system. Uh, this guy was all about, basically, he was doing create space, you know, in, in the 1820s. And he was wanting everybody to be on board with, you know, okay, no, everybody should be able to publish their own books. Everybody be, should be able to self-publish. I mean, this is basically, he's arguing for bloggers, you know, again, 200 years ago. And the problem with that is you can't make money off of that. You know, no, we want to go through the publishing house. No, or, or, or you either can't make money or you can't control the narrative. I don't think the average person would see that as wrong because basically that's what everybody does on the internet today anyway, right? But I think that there are a lot of people, including in like libertarian spaces and others, that, that I, I think they might have a little bit of a problem with that, you know? Um, I shouldn't necessarily say that, but anyway, I know that that's something that people wouldn't necessarily get excited about or whatever. I mean, or even just having like the largest amount of options, letting things organically become whatever they are. No, most libertarians don't want that because they immediately say, if anybody even tried communism, we're going to have to stop them. You know, we have to shoot these people and because, or we have to dump them out of helicopters because, you know, that's, which is horseshit. You know, but Josiah Warren was basically saying, yeah, let people practice whatever, you know, style of living they, they want to practice. Take, take your pick. Um, there, there's so much more that I could get into that. <laughs> this conversation went, went far deeper than, than I, I planned on it going. Email your questions, people, or send a voicemail. And, and yeah, uh, I, I can't remember the number. <laughs> anyway, uh, and I tried pulling it up and it wouldn't come up. Um, and, and you know, what's you know, what's terrible is that is that so many of these people are so brain dead that now just because I'm reading a socialist author, I'm going to get called a socialist. And that's fucking ridiculous. In fact, Josiah Warren, like he, you know, he has like he talks against what would be called capitalism, but then he's fervently anti-communist, fervently anti-communist. But that's the other problem that people can't get into. They can't see that the opposite of a market, not that he was anti-market, but like that the, they, they immediately have to think, oh no, the only opposite to the market is communism. That's crap. Not at all. Like that, that, that's in what universe would that be remotely true that there are, that's it. There's only two options, you know, and, and, but people, their brains are just going to shut off. 
Um, and I mean, all you have to do is, is go to Twitter and, you know, go like on, uh, I don't know, some, some libertarian idiots, uh, you know, that has some kind of following and, and look at his Twitter feed and you're going to see it. The instant somebody says something about, yeah, toss a communist out of a helicopter, you know, or, or, or somebody like tries to say, yeah, you know, maybe we don't want necessarily want to do that. I mean, you're just going to see the heat come down and, and, and it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting to look at. Uh, when, when, when that happens, but people refuse to look at these books. And I think not that it's a conspiracy necessarily, but I don't think that, that if you, if it doesn't fit with the message you're trying to get out there, they basically, they want to ignore it, even though it is part and parcel and core to the history of ideological concepts that, that they claim to espouse. So anyway, drives me nuts. And when I read this stuff and, and it's like, wait a minute, somebody should have told me about this book years ago and nobody did. And I, and I just, that, that makes me, that makes me livid, you know, that that happens. And there's other big stuff in there too, but I'm not going to go down that road because that that'll turn into massive conversations, scientific ones, in fact. Uh, but, but conversations for another time. Well, look at the good you're doing right now. You're telling people about these obscure books that you wish you had known about for years. Yeah. You're saving people lots of time. Absolutely. Well, that's why I do this. And that's why, actually, I like doing the book club with you because, you know, th there's so much shit out there. Um, I think people, you know, want to hear from a couple of, dare I say, intelligent folk. Uh, you know, yeah, what, do, what are you guys reading? You know, what, what do you got coming down? And, and we're not just intelligent, but we're unconventional incredibly unconventional. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's putting it very mildly. Um, and so I think people know they're going to get something unique, you know, when, when, when they, they, they listen to, when they care to listen to, uh, uh, you know, what, what we're ingesting as far as uh, books go. So anyway, <laughs> there's a lot of other books I'm reading, but I think I've, I've, I've said enough. <laughs> So if you want to have a good time, check out some jo Josiah Warren and uh, Gustav Landauer. I also recommend him. And uh, you know what? Get get over yourself when you read these things, um, because it's one of those times where it's good to have an open mind and glean from it what is useful to you, which is a great thing to do anytime that you're reading, uh, especially nonfiction. But anyway, especially when you're reading something that's challenging for you because it goes against something you believe yeah and challenge yourself for fuck's sake i challenge myself all the time i, I mean literally all the time that's how you build your brain muscles yes <laughs> and part of the reason i do it is that i don't want to be right about a lot of things that that i think you know like I, I want to be proven wrong it's like no please please show me that everybody isn't a fucking moron please you know and and well, that one hasn't been proven wrong yet, but I'm trying to prove that wrong. So, <laughs> Well, it's also really stimulating uh, to be outside of your own mind and your own thoughts and to share in someone else's for a while, like a radically different point of view. Absolutely. Well, you know, but you, see, you're great about this. You've been doing this to me for years, you know, ever since we've been friends. I, I'll never forget it. We were, we're, we're, what was that place? Gauchos? Oh, yeah. We're at Gauchos. Okay. It's a restaurant. It's a Brazilian restaurant that serves meat on sticks. Yeah. And I, I have been a vegetarian slash vegan for over a decade now. So right. the entire time that we've been friends. 
Yeah. So you could imagine me, my discomfort <laughs> at this restaurant while sticks of raw meat were being carried around and carved. <laughs> You're an absolute fish out of water uh, in, in the situation. But I just, I remember you, you were saying to me, it's like, you ever think about reading something other than science fiction? And I was like, no. <laughs> Why the fuck would I do that? And and, and uh, anyway, you, basically, you challenged me. You said, well, try. I was like, okay, fine. I trust you. You give me a book to read. You tell me. And and and, and I remember the book you told me to read. I read it, and I, I was blown away. Which but, book was it? Well, at that time, it was still kind of science fiction, but it was um, uh, um, This Perfect Day. Oh, yes. Yeah, tremendous that's more read. of like dystopia. Yeah, yeah, but tremendous read. I would have never picked it up. Would have never read that. Uh, I'm so glad I did. In fact, it's an important book right now in, in the world we live in. It's even more important than it was back when it came out what, in the 70s or 1980, something like that. Um, but you've pushed that a lot on me. You're like, no, 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 no. Get, get out of the zone. Get out of your zone and, and, and read something different. Yeah, get out of your comfort zone. Right. Once in a while, at yeah. least. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not going to start reading Danielle Steele or anything, but... Um, <laughs> Well, I would never suggest you do. <laughs> or, you know, or any Judith Krantz. We're not going to do any of that. Uh, but regardless, um, it's been only a good thing, you know, to kind of break out. Uh, but I mean, I'm I'm pretty, I've always been unorthodox anyway. So there's not, but regardless, you have definitely inspired that. And I think we should put the challenge to all of these Sovereign Tech listeners. Break out of your comfort zone. Read something that you think is absolutely preposterous. Go ahead and take the time, and if anything, it'll get your uh, your mind doing some uh, some calisthenics, uh, you know, as as you go along. So, what what do you got? You're right. It is an exercise. It, you learn how to strengthen your opinions and and your perspectives by doing stuff like that. So, I think it's only a good thing to yeah. to really challenge yourself to read things that you might even hate. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's far more important now, also, since we read most things online and we have 20 billion algorithms that think they know what we want to read and they are or they are controlling what we should be seeing. And they are constantly schlepping that, you know, upon us. Um, and it's good to break away from that, too. Oh, and yeah. That's another thing. Confuse the algorithm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> throw that the fuck off. It's like, wait, he's reading Danielle Steele. Wait, 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 what do we recommend to him now? Like, five minutes ago, he was reading Taken by the T-Rex. Now he's reading Daniel Steele. What the fuck is this? You know? Yeah, I mean, confuse those fuckers to no end, uh, by all means. You know? Uh, anyway, so, okay. That was a great book club. <laughs> we, we went a good 37 minutes or so into the episode just talking about that. And we have great stories that we need to get into and talk about. Yes. Um, you know, all right. So, did, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up? Are you good? No, I think I'm good with the book club. We can okay. bring that one to a close. Yeah, yeah. We'll just uh, put the marker in those pages and come back to it later. That's right. The advertisers are not going to like that, but that's okay. <laughs> I never let them hold me down either. Um, and they know that. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's talk a little. I, I mentioned at the top, we need to get into some tech news here. Um, I mentioned at the top that I wanted to talk a little bit about Twitter. So... Now, Ellen, are you on Twitter? No, I'm not. What do you mean? You're, you're not? I have no Twitter accounts. You're 25, right? Yes, and even when I was 21, I never had a Twitter account. You're, you, you are not following the plan. You are supposed to be on Facebook, Twitter, 
Instagram, TikTok. Are you on TikTok? No. That's going to get banned by Trump anyway. Uh, no, <laughs> supposedly. Yeah. Anyway, that that's a story for another time. But don't you realize that this does not, you do not compute. You understand? You are supposed to be on Twitter sharing every little, sharing what you had for breakfast. What'd you have for breakfast? Please like me, people. Look at my pretty face. Aren't I likable? <laughs> oh, look, I said something quippy. Please give me a heart. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> turns out Twitter is in a bit of trouble. And then oh, the, really? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, does this have anything to do with the story that we talked about last time I was on? It's actually, it, it's, it's related, but only as a byproduct. Um, it's not part of the Twitter hack, but I think the Twitter hack created such a stir uh, with Twitter that or within Twitter and with its investors and everything that now Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, uh, I think he thinks now he can start putting some extreme ideas on the table. And so let me ask you this, Ellen, as as somebody who um, I guess doesn't doesn't buy into the notion that, uh, you know, you you have to be on Instagram, you have to be on Facebook, you have to be, you know, on all this. Oh, and, God, no. The people that I want to be connected to, I am. Right. I don't need those social media platforms to stay in contact with the people I care about. So if if a company like, say, Twitter came to you and said that you they, they want you to uh, pay for a subscription service, OK, to their to their platform, to their social media platform, and you won't see any ads anymore, would you do it? Uh, fuck no. <laughs> OK, fair enough. No, I mean. I, I can think of one one service that I did pay a premium for monthly to stop getting ads, but it was for music. Oh, uh, yeah, that that'd be Pandora. I yes, assume. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But I would. I don't need social media. I mean, if anything, they should be paying me because they already have a bunch of my information. Now, this is really going to, I mean, the advertisers aren't going to know what to do with this. I mean, what are we talking? We, we have 20 year olds that aren't in, or, you know, people in their 20s who aren't interested in social media. You know, what kind talk about genetic freaks. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I think people who are even younger than me aren't into it. I if anything, they're using like Snapchat and TikTok, which I, I don't know that those are platforms the same way that Facebook and Twitter are. Right. No, I, I think you're absolutely right on that. In fact, I covered this in a recent story on Sovereign Tech um, that The Intercept uh, put out about basically the, the, the Pentagon is freaking out that, oh, shit. In fact, the, the title of the episode is Z-Bellion, as in Generation Z, because they're scared to death. Generation Z doesn't want to share all of their information. They don't <laughs> they, they don't want to be info whores, you know, and just like. And, 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 Good for but, them. I agree. Yeah. And, and you know, they're, they're just not interested in that at all. Um, and I, again, I think, it, and I talked about it the whole time. I think that's absolutely fantastic that that's what's going on. But I mean, so what's happening is the reason that I bring this up is that Twitter is not making money off of their ad platform. Um, Facebook, it's a different story. Facebook is doing fairly well with their ad platform, but Twitter is not making money in this way. Um, I think ultimately this points at a, something that I've brought up many times is that a lot of the people on Twitter uh, you know, everybody's so concerned about what people think on Twitter and, you know, what the, which way the, the, the Twitter tide is, is, uh, you know, is going or the waves are going, but 
and and I say this, I say this with empathy, and I mean it. I say this with empathy. I mean, most of these people who spend all their day on Twitter, they can spend all their day on Twitter because they're fucking, frankly, they're poor. And like they're they're not doing anything else. Like this is what they do, you know. Like they're not and, and again, I don't mean to say that disparagingly, because there are economic forces that are not under their, you know, that they are being that are being, shall we say, thrusted upon them. Um that that you know are very unfortunate. But at the same time, people do determine their own fate in the sense that they can choose how to spend their time. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. But, I mean, this is part of the problem with social media, right? Is that it gives you the illusion that you're doing something. There is an illusion that you're living. There is an illusion that you've created a change. There is an illusion that, and this is going to rub some rhubarbs, there is the illusion that your opinion matters. And... I hate to break it to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, to quote my old friend, my old dear departed friend, um, you know, your opinion does not have uh, like, you know, people want to say all the time that, uh, you know, you have a right to your opinion. Harlan Ellison would say, no, you have a right to an informed opinion and just go on Twitter for a few minutes. And you're going to see a lot of people don't have very informed opinions. Uh, by by any stretch of the imagination, but also you know, woohoo, you typed out something on a little fucking screen. I, it's not like you're out there. I mean, there are people out there marching right now, but it's not like you know you're not you're not putting your life on the line. You're not doing all these different things. I mean, again, it is very much an illusion. Of course, that's the truth for much of uh, of the internet. So, but it's an addictive illusion because yes. it makes you feel like people like you and listen to you. Sure, it's just like uh, you know a, a game at the casino. You know, it's it's just like you know pulling down the the, the big handle, right, on the slot machine and so on. Um, it gives you. I mean, and, and they hire the people that made the slot machines to, to to make you feel good about what you're doing on these you know on these platforms. Um, why you would pay for that privilege, I cannot imagine. You know uh, why why that would happen, but basically. And this is something I've said on the show for years. Sooner or later, like the piper is going to have to get paid with these platforms. Everybody expects all the stuff to be completely for free. Now, none of it is actually free. It's usually making money off of your data. The data being sold is either getting bought by governments or being considered valuable by advertisers. And then the advertisers for whatever company, uh, you know, give Twitter or pick your platform the money, right, to advertise on that platform. Problem is, is that now you have these companies saying, well, shit, we're not getting any ROI out of this, you know? And so why are we going to advertise on Twitter if we're not getting our, any ROI? Now, there's a lot of us. In fact, there's a book from, boy, seven years ago called Social Media is Bullshit. It's a great book. Uh, and the guy in that basically said, he's like, you're all eventually going to figure it out that the, these numbers that Facebook and Twitter and other people are giving you aren't adding up to money in your wallet at all. There's no value in it. And now that's becoming true. And I think the, you know, Jack Dorsey coming out and saying, hey, we're toying with the idea of having a subscription model for Twitter is proving the point that all the stuff that you thought for was for free, you know, now, no, 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 it was never free. And now like, you know, the, these companies got to make money. Um, and once that happens, I mean, there's a lot of platforms that I think are basically going to die because these people, and again, I say it respectfully. Okay. 
these people can't afford, they can't afford it. They can't pay for it. You know, unless it's going to be, even if it's an infinitesimal sum, I don't think they're going to do it because you basically have to, I mean, you think about Netflix, right? Of course, you and I, we hate Netflix. But you think about Netflix, that is, what is it? 10, 15 bucks a month, you know, somewhere in that range. I know they raise yeah. their pri- prices over time. Look at the amount of shit you have to make as Netflix to make that a viable proposition to a consumer. Just 15 bucks. You know, I mean, you have to spend billions to make that. Now it scales, yes, but you have to spend billions of dollars on content, you know, movies, shows, all that, comedy specials, whatever, to make it worthwhile to a consumer for them to want to buy into into what you're doing. I'm sorry, Facebook, Twitter, and all these other things, they don't have that value prop. And I think Facebook might be looking at this too. That's why they're doing like Facebook Watch because they know they have to complete, they have to basically produce what Netflix does to make, you know, uh, uh, say for a subscription model with Facebook for that to become viable and possible. But like you, I mean, you came right out and said, you know, and you being in your 20s, okay, um, you know, came out and said, no, I'm not going to pay for this shit. I mean, and, and, and that's not even getting to the fact that you're basically paying for your own surveillance. But I'm one of those freaks that just doesn't need approval from anyone, and I really don't care about it. You are a beautiful, beautiful freak. Thank you. <laughs> and I mean that in every way. I take that as a very high compliment. <laughs> but I can't help but wonder if there aren't... Now, I mean, there's no one else like you. Like I said when I introed you, you are incomparable. But <laughs> I can't... And there's not a but... I do wonder how many more there are like you. When that Z-Bellion story came out, I think that was the government sweating this, that there are other people like you, Ellen, that are not interested in, you know, being all over the place and sharing every little bit of information on these platforms and also not willing to pay for it because their surveillance models require or I mean, rely upon Facebook, Twitter, and whatever else, and people just not giving a shit about their privacy, and people just not, you know, just not caring. But you care, and I wonder how many others do. And, and so, I mean, that's part of the reason I wanted to talk about it with you on, because I wanted there to be, no, I'm, I mean, they, they can say to me, well, Brian Sovereign, you're just, you know, you're a 39-year-old curmudgeon. You know, you're, you're, you're old school, you're out of date, you're this, you're just complaining because things aren't like they were when you were 25, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I wanted somebody on that, you know, they can't make that, that criticism of, you know? Well, I find it surprising that there's even as many people using Facebook and Twitter as there are now, considering uh, some of the revelations that have happened about these companies over the last decade, even. Right. Um, like Facebook doing unauthorized experiments on people, for example. Sure. Uh, that freaked me out. Right. I stopped using Facebook after that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and like the the complete lack of security that has been shown to be present. With the Twitter hack? Well, with Twitter, yeah, and with Facebook. Right. Um, so I think... These things, uh, like some of these revelations have happened often enough that um, people have really started to get the message, or at least like young people who are receptive to these messages uh, really hear it. I think people who are around my age, maybe a little bit older, um, they still really love using Facebook Mm -hmm. because it's it's a way to stay in touch with people that you care about. And um, 
you know, you don't have to make a, a new account somewhere else. People, It's not like the MySpace situation where suddenly everyone's shifting over to Twitter, right. which that did happen with some people, but the vast majority of people still have Facebook accounts. Uh, so there's no reason to leave for, for a lot of these people, and they don't want to. Um, but I guess for younger people like, like me, or even younger, uh, there are plenty of other ways to stay in touch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, shifting to where it's not like the, the fire hose of people, you know, like, like Twitter or even Facebook is where it's more personal, like a telegram group and things like this. I, I feel like that, that's like a little more of a direction to go, but I mean, yeah, that's definitely more tolerable. Right. That's you don't something... get exhausted by yes. the amount of people that are, that are commenting or talking to you. Yes. Yes. And of course I've been saying this for years on the show, but um, I mean, the other thing, too, is, is that there is really an ideological war going on now between Twitter and Facebook, you know, where um, Twitter is willing to fact check, you know, the slap nuts in chief, right? That idiot in the White House. And then Facebook says, no, we're not going to do that. But, <laughs> you know, and then you, so then you have people who are like, oh, yeah, well, then I'll be on Twitter and I won't be on Facebook. But really, it's Pepsi and Coca-Cola. I mean, you, you're still drinking shit. Right. Like, yeah. I, I mean, it's still garbage going into not down your throat, but at least in your mind. And th that's the <laughs> that's the part that bothers me is that they don't realize it. It's like, no, structurally, infrastructurally, these platforms create these problems, you know, or have these problems, et cetera. Kind of like what you talked about and others. But go ahead. Yeah. So I, so I saw something recently that I thought was really funny uh, where. Zuckerberg was being represented in a, a comedy skit and mm -hmm. it was taking place in hell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like the devil had called Zuckerberg down to like do business. At, That's why he wears all that sunblock. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you see that picture of him surfing <laughs> and wearing the sunblock? No, oh, it's hilarious. His face, he is white as a sheet doesn't even begin to describe it. I mean, it looks like he's uh what was uh what was the 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 android on in alien um fuck ash oh yeah remember the one that gets its head bashed off and mm -hmm. is leaking this white stuff all over the place he looks like the android with like all the white stuff just like gurgling out of Ugh. his mouth i mean that's how much sunblock <laughs> this guy has on. it's it's insane and he's on uh, an electric surfboard anyway go ahead i got to protect from skin cancer <laughs> right yeah or you, you know the fires forever. of hell and exactly. so it's all right so zuckerberg's <laughs> in hell i like this already i mean uh, i'm sorry uh, go ahead go ahead Keep going. so anyway um, you know, there's a person visiting hell and they're like, wait, Zuckerberg, what are you doing here? Uh, and he's like, oh, I, I don't, I don't teach other people evil. I just provide the platform that spreads it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I feel like, uh, that's how people view Facebook, but essentially Twitter does the same thing. It's just that they're willing to be, um, they're willing to fact check famous people's uh, sayings or whatever, whatever it is. Um, I guess if anybody has like enough clout in the public right. uh, and they say something and people want them to be fact-checked, then they're willing to do it. But Facebook just won't do that under any circumstances, but either way you're getting misinformation. Yeah. I mean, it still turns again, fuck Trump. Like, uh, you know, if anybody thinks what I'm about to say is somehow supportive of him, not at all. I, I mean, we just had a 20 minute conversation about anarchism. If you don't get the picture yet, I don't know what I can do for you, but uh, still that fact checking ultimately becomes a political tool. 
exactly. It, I feel like so much uh, facts or whatever are being driven by the media and um, I guess there are other agendas at play. Mm-hmm. It's it's just hard to know what the actual truth of a lot of these things are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and Zuckerberg, you know, don't think that he's like somehow being ideologically pure or anything like that. No, I mean, and I think I might have talked about this on the show when, when this was first happening. But the only reason he's not fact-checking is because, you know, once he wants to run for office, some kind of office, president or, or otherwise, I mean, he's going to have to get the Constitution amended to allow androids to get voted in. But I'm sorry, that's offensive to androids. I, you know, <laughs> I, I would not insult androids by suggesting that Zuckerberg is one of them. Um, but regardless, that, that's all he's really. I mean, that's why he doesn't want to do it, because he doesn't want to get uh, basically tripped up by his own algorithm that he's going to implement or by his own system of fact checking that he would he would have to, to, to implement. It's just not going to happen. So. Anyway, <laughs> subscription model, is it a good, I mean, l- l- let's bring it back to that. Go ahead. Okay, well, if you really need to use Twitter for some reason, like if you're an influencer and that's actually your job, um, which I, I don't know if anybody actually has a job like that, but uh, it would be worth it. Like if there's no way that you're leaving Twitter, but you want to have that experience of no ads blasting you throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Sure, that'd be worth it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that that's that's basically where I fall on it, is that if this is a thing for you, I mean, I, yes, I would I would rather pay for something than get ads. Yeah, right. You know, all day long. Like, that. That that's just the reality. I don't know how much exactly I'd be willing to pay for that. But, yes, I would. If okay. it was, like, $5 a month to not have the constant annoyance of something trying to you know, be sold to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's worth it to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I get it. It's not a bad idea. It's something that basically has to happen. And this is happening. I think there's a reason Firefox is looking into creating premium accounts that you pay for where you get a bunch of features and everything. It's because the internet is maturing. Is I mean, not people haven't matured, obviously, as you see when you see what they say on the internet. But the internet is maturing to the point that it's realizing it's almost self-actualizing nothing's free and that somebody's got to start paying for all this server space <laughs> and, and it's going to get offset onto the, you know, onto the user. Um, or at least that that's, that's very much the way that it, that it's looking. So I'm not surprised this is getting touted. I can't picture other than, and I've, you know, toyed with this notion. I don't want it to happen, but other than the government basically turning it into a literal public works and thus it becomes government funded. I don't think they have any other real option to make money, you know, as a, as a platform. But then also I think once they do that, it's probably going to die because people aren't going to pay for it. You know, I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they're not, I don't think people are going to see the value add um, in that. So certainly something we're going to be keeping an eye on. It's, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, but I think Ellen Sovereign basically just told everybody, get the fuck off of social media. Is, is that, is that how that went? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, say your goodbyes, find other ways of connecting. Right. Um, social media is not doing you any favors. Woo, I love it. All right, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Great note to end up. Hey, is Sovereign Tech not enough for you? Well, let me tell you about something you'll never get enough of. No, no, I mean it. 
We're talking about a radio show and podcast that goes all night long, seven nights a week, three hours a night, 365 days a year, and has been going since the early aughts, baby. I am talking about none other than Free Talk Live. It's the show you control. That's right. It's an open phones call-in show that is ready for you. And if you're worried that your voice isn't going to get heard, don't be. We are talking about the only libertarian radio show stateside. And not only that, it's also the number 26 talk show in the United States. Start listening now and go ahead and hit that massive back catalog at freetalklive.com. The Golden Stallion guarantees a good time, and you might even find some episodes with me on them when you do. That's freetalklive.com, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. The main story. You know what I feel like doing, Ellen? What do you feel like doing, Brian? <laughs> I feel like making stickers with like the American flag on it. You know those ones that say I voted? Yeah. And just have it say I tweeted because it's it's just as effective. You're like, right. Or should I say just as ineffective? <laughs> I thought you were going to say I farted. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it'd be about the same. Yeah. I mean, you know, you might as well tweet that. I farted, you know? <laughs> What the hell? And watch it get 20 billion likes. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I, we, we need to get off of that subject. Um, but I mean, I've been wrestling pretty hard lately with like, okay, you know what? Do we, do we just end the Twitter account? Do we really, do we put a stop to that? Because the security issues, I mean, that, that's just off that's the wall. That's got you scared? Well, not scared, but concerned. And, and like the constant, like now they're saying, oh, there was a 17 year old uh, kid from Florida who did it all and all this crap. And it all just seems like horseshit. Like Twitter's just lying across the board about whatever happened. I like the skepticism. This is oh, good. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and of course I did a whole episode about it recently and, or not a whole episode, but I mean, it was a good chunk of the conversation. And I mean, my point was, is that, you know, it doesn't matter what the answer is. And in fact, you were on when we first talked about it. You, you, yeah, it was an episode with, that you were on, and I had said the same thing then. That it doesn't matter what their answer is; it nothing is good enough. But I could have never predicted the the strangeness of the reality of what their response actually was. Sure, seventeen year old kid in Florida. Okay, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, or that it was social engineering. Yeah, right, right. You know, I was really hoping that it wasn't an employee getting paid off because, like, one would want to trust in the employees working at companies like that because they really do have power they have real power over people's lives right right um, you know and you'd hope that they would use it uh fairly mm-hmm. uh but in this case it, it sounds like they just you know it it they they used people's information against them yeah i mean there's just there's there's nothing good about it because it, it reveals again it reveals all the cracks yeah in, and in like people are still people they still want personal gains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I've been, I've been heavily debating like, you know, do we just, do we end it? Do we, do, do we put a stop to Twitter? I mean, do you, have, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, I mean, as in like, should I just like not bother? Well, I've tried very hard to refrain from commenting on what I think about your Twitter use. Yeah. Um, I, I know that when you first decided to create your Twitter, uh, for purposes of, you know, interacting with your, um, 
your audience. sovereign tech yeah. community. Sure. Uh, yeah, your audience on Twitter. Um, it was a really challenging decision for you to do that. Um, but you decided you wanted to. And I, you know, I'm trying not to say anything about it because, well, you know, my personal feelings. Well, you're not on it. I mean, that says it all. You know, it, it was. Right. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> but it, it's not for me to say what's right for you to do because it's not my show. Right. As no, much as I, I might be like creative director or whatever, or inspiration. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, it it's not my decision to make. Yeah, I hear that. It, 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 I don't know. Anyway, it's something I'm still wrestling with, you know, because I mean, my, my ultimate logic was, well, I've got to be somewhere, you know, and, and I've had people who, you know, I've, I've had people who are advisors that have, you know, basically talked about this and whatever. Not that I need the show to to grow, I mean, it'll do that organically. It already has uh, far beyond what I ever expected. I mean, I, I didn't expect this show. I thought maybe I'd have a hundred listeners, you know, at best. Like, okay, yeah, maybe a hundred. Yeah, maybe one day it'll be like five hundred. When something. you first started it. When I first started it, that's what I thought. But then, you know, no, it, it turns into practically twenty thousand. And uh, you know, it, granted, when you do something so long, I mean, people have a certain. Uh, appreciation for it, I guess. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. You know, that's why I say it'll grow organically. I don't know how much Twitter or any social media ever helped in getting this show to, to, to where it's at. You know, I mean, people got to find out about it, but then I don't even know what that secret sauce is. Most of the time what I've seen, it's been just people talking to each other or, you know, how, however that, that, that takes shape or somebody playing it at work or something like that. It, it's, I, I don't really hear where, wow. Yeah. I found out about this on social media and away I went. Unless uh, you're doing really aggressive advertising, which I don't think you would do something. That's like not that. my style. No, no, I'm not interested in that. I, I'm not going to trick people. I'm not going to do bullshit thumbnails of me looking like an idiot and pointing at something with a red circle around it or anything like that. Like I'm fucking YouTube. Um, I don't buy followers. I don't do any of that horseshit. And I, and I absolutely refuse because then it'd be far worse than, gee, should I be on Twitter? Because all these platforms are totally insecure. Uh, then it turns into, wow, this, this guy's a complete hypocrite in everything he says, you know, when, 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 when you go that, that distance. But anyway, when it comes down to what's real and what's not, why don't we shift gears? This is a conversation I've wanted to have with you for some time. And the reason I want to have it with you specifically, Ellen, is that the technology we're going to talk about, we're going to get into some fun stuff with dinosaurs here in a minute. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right in a few minutes. Yeah, it'll Dinos. be great. We'll end it off with fun stuff. This technology that we're going to talk about is ultimately, I think, the effects of it, the ramifications of it, really come down to people like you. This conversation is not going to be fun for me. It's going to be very challenging. Sure. And, you know, because, and if you want me to edit this out, I will. Okay. But I mean, I, I just, I want to express this um, and why this is important. Okay. Because now as we go, so what we're going to talk about is deep fakes. Okay. Now, as the story that's linked in the show notes for this episode makes abundantly clear, 96% of deep fakes which is basically, you know, using uh, uh, an algorithm or, you know, using, well, deep fakes is deep learning and fakes, basically using software to overlay someone's appearance over another body. 96% of this is used for pornography. It's used for porn. Uh, 
Um, and that's part of why I say this ultimately would affect people like you. Or, and, and I, and, and so again, I'll edit this if you want, but you mean porn stars? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe or for me, well, people who are not porn stars. <laughs> yeah. You are conventionally a stunning woman. Like, I mean, that, that that's a fact. It depends on your definition of conventional. Well, I mean, I think it goes but, far beyond conventional, but. I, I mean, appreciate it. Thanks. I, I've even, you know, I've, I've heard other women basically say, like describe you as like even women, not just guys. I already know the, the horseshit guys say, but you know, universally hot. That was a term that was, that I've heard used about you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'm flattered. Sure. And, and, and so, you know, that, that's what I mean. Like this is the kind of technology that, would be used to bring someone's say fantasies about someone like you to some degree to life. Okay. The first time I had heard about deep fakes was years ago. It was like 2017 and someone had overlaid Daisy Ridley's face as Ray from star Wars onto a porn star in a video. Okay just a face onto a body that looked kind of like what you might imagine Daisy Ridley's body looks like. Um, I saw this. Uh, you can tell that it's fake. Certainly in 2017, you were able to. Um, and it doesn't match up with the audio at all. Like that's a whole other trick uh, to do, but not impossible. And the software that allows this to be done, there's open source software out there that's solely free that anybody can use and take advantage of. Um, so this is, this is a, you know, this is Pandora's box opened. Okay. Uh, and to understand, uh, what I have linked in the show notes is a Forbes article titled deep fakes are going to wreak havoc on society. We are not prepared. Um, yeah, so th th that's, that's when I first encountered it and I instantly, in fact, it's, it's, it's interesting. Star Trek basically called this that this was going to happen. Do you remember the episode of D space nine where uh, a particular client of quarks for the, the, uh, the, um, the hollow suites, which is the D space nine version of the holodeck from TNG, where he wanted a hollow suite program that had major Kira in it. Oh yes. I, I vividly remember this. Right. And so Quark is spending the whole episode needing to get like this full body scan of Major Kira, and he's trying to trick her into getting it. Um, and it has a very funny ending and all this stuff. But basically, that's deep fakes, okay? Where this guy wanted to go into a holographic gen or holographically generated environment, and there would be a holographically generated Major Kira that he would be able to, you know, do whatever the fuck he wanted to do with, obviously, sex, among other things, okay? And she was very freaked out by this whole idea and refused. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, you know, I get it. Like, within the context of the episode, I completely understand. Um, <laughs> there, I mean, with the episode, there are problems, because it's like, wait, you're, you're telling me there aren't enough camera, there isn't enough camera footage around for Quark to already you know, make a, a uh, you know, a hologram of major cure come out. Of course there is. Well, you, know? you would think that kind of technology exists, but right. 
One never knows. I mean, a 3D scan is very different than a 2D scan. That's true. I mean, maybe he needed to use a scanner that could even get the dimples or, so. you know, I don't know, whatever. Okay, so certainly I, I understand that. But basically, they had already dealt with this. And all you really had going against it in the episode was Major Kira's, uh, you know, thinking that it was very imprudent, rude, and violating. Okay, you know, to to do that. Yeah, she felt that it essentially violated her privacy and her ownership of herself. Right. Now, this gets into a big conversation because... I mean, as has been stated on Sovereign Tech over the years, you know, you don't you don't own the photons that hit your face, right? Now that's getting into a very scientific realm of you know, wait, what is actually the image of a person anyway, right? Sure. And and and, and, and I mean that gets into a very metaphysical conversation. I think um, that that goes far deeper than most people probably want to go when it comes to deep fakes. Basically, what people want to do right now is just outlaw this stuff. But again, the software is open source. It's out there. It's free. You can't. You can't outlaw this. You can't keep it from happening. You can't keep it from getting posted on the Internet. Are people going to do absolutely horrendous shit with deepfakes? Absolutely. Like, is terrible stuff, and I mean, you know, getting into child stuff, just horrible, disgusting, deplorable? Absolutely, that is going to happen. And I hate the fact that there are people out there that think that way. Um. And I'm sure those are going to be the first use cases to try and make this illegal, you know, because that's that's a bit of a it's true, but also a canard that that gets tossed out anytime. You know, won't you think of the children, right? That that always gets gets bantied out about that. People are getting kind of wise to that argument, saying yes, we do think about them. That doesn't mean you have to make a law. You know, we'll, we'll handle this or whatever. Um, but that that's a whole other conversation. I guess I really want to ask the very broad question. I mean, if let's let's just get to it. We understand what deep fakes are, okay? You know, again, it's video, uh, someone getting overlaid and and being faked in a video as being X Y Z. You know, how how would you feel if you went to you know if you found out someone shared it with you or something? that somebody made a, a deep fake video of you, like overlaid you on some porn star's body or something like that. I mean, let me also be clear. You are no prude. Like, <laughs> I mean, you are the farthest. Fr- can- well, I can certainly be sexually expressive uh, when yes. I want to be. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. I feel the situation is right. Exactly, yes. So before anybody thinks, oh, you know, she's this good Christian gal or something like that. I, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. So... <laughs> Anyway, but I mean, how would you how would you feel about this? Um, well, I would watch the video very closely. Uh-huh. I I would do whatever it took to find who created this video, and I would find them. Whoa! And hurt them. Oh, <laughs> woo! Violence. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I would want to do. Anyway. Yeah, right. That's that's how I would feel about it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, obviously, I, I would feel revolted and betrayed mm. and um, offended. You know, like, I I did not agree to this. That's not a voluntary use of, of my image. Right. Um, and, like, I would never be in a porn video anyway. And hopefully the people that know me know that. Um, and I guess that kind of feeds my uh, belief that, like, 
the fewer images you have of yourself uh, on the internet, the better off you are. <laughs> right. I mean, it it makes you much less vulnerable to this sort of thing. Um, but anyway, essentially, I would just feel uh, I, not good about it. Very well, you, not good. Yeah, I mean, you raise a great point. And that is, is that really in the surveillance society that we live in, anybody could do this to basically anybody right now, I think. Like, we're, we're just about, I mean, when you look at um, Clearview AI and some of these other uh, companies out there that just scrape every image out there that they can find of people, it's very, very difficult, I, I would think, to somehow not, for your likeness, to not be available for this kind of use today. That doesn't make it right. I'm just saying that that you raise a great point and that 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 that's I mean, and it's worthwhile. I think what you said is it's a worthwhile thing to try and thwart this this sort of thing. So, I mean, you watched a deep fake video, right? Did you watch one of uh, was it of, of Obama? Yes. Yeah, it was one that was talked about in the article that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, it was a video of Obama saying uh, curse word. Yeah. He was talking about Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, and then as the video came to a close, it showed um, th like the screen split. And then it showed the person who is doing the voice of Obama. And mm -hmm. you could tell that he was actually talking, um, saying what the Obama face was saying. Right. Um, and, and then you could it, like if you looked at Obama's mouth, you could tell like there's something not right about that. It looks kind of CGI. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're not there yet. Most of them, you can tell either it's in the way that they're blinking or things like this. Like the technology is just not there to where I think you can be reasonably convinced. Um, or, I mean, maybe cursory, you could be convinced that it's that it's whoever they're purporting it to be, even though it's a deep fake. Um, but we're, we're really not there yet. Will we ever get there? Maybe. Um, I'm far more concerned about like the audio technology as far as this goes, not so much the video technology as far as that goes. And the audio version of deep fakes exists. I mean, we know that. Um, yeah, and it's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. And it doesn't need much to, to, to make you basically sound like you said just about anything. I mean, the overarching point that this article is getting into is that we're not going to be able to believe anything we see online. Yeah, and maybe that's the takeaway message. Right. Is if you see something online, you should certainly question the origins of that information. Yeah, absolutely. You should. I mean, you should do some. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't some deep research instead of deep yeah. fakes. Do some deep research on on the matter. Uh, unfortunately, most people won't even go past the headline. You know, and that's just with you know a run of the mill story of any kind. Um, why would we expect them to even begin to question whether or not something is a deep fake? Well, that's uh, why not. I always hope there are people out there like, I don't know if you ever watch shows like CSI. Uh, sure. But there was always an expert that could watch a video and analyze it and tell you if it was faked. Right. Um, and I'm hoping there are people like that out in the world that are willing to do that good work <laughs> and point out whenever a video is faked. But that's really, I, I feel like that's our only hope, unless there's some sort of algorithm that can detect algorithms yeah yeah you'd really i mean there'd have to be somewhat of an arms race where yes there is software that can basically deconstruct any video and say no this is you know a deep fake um whatever it looks for to to necessarily make that happen um 
I don't know. There's kind of a, there's a bit of a conversation to be had on this. It is not uninteresting, nor is it uh, unimportant that 96% of the deep fakes on the internet right now, again, are porn. There is an old argument. It's a little simplistic, a little too simplistic. And cause there's never just one reason, but I think there is some, some merit and there's some truth to it. And that is, is that porn basically forwards all technology or that sex ultimately forwards, you know, uh, any advancement really in, in, you know, for humanity, if you want to go that far or at the very least civilization. I guess so. I mean, the vast majority of the internet, I believe is being used for porn, <laughs> right? Like that's the old trope. Isn't there enough out there in the world? Like, why do we need more? <laughs> <laughs> well, that gets into another point. But I think that, like, the the desire to prove whether or not something is real, I don't think there's there's the same impetus, you know, or at least not yet. And there certainly won't be the open source impetus. And that runs into a whole other problem where I think that, okay, someone might develop the, the, the algorithm or the tech or the software that can detect if something is a deep fake. But I think that will always belong to some company and they will basically become the gatekeepers of quote unquote truth when it comes to deep fakes. And that's a problem as to where with creating a deep fake, again, that box is opened up. Anybody can do that now with the degree of efficacy. Yeah. Um, there was a part in this article that mentioned um, some pretty important reasons why I think people would be motivated to find the truth about mm-hmm. deep fakes. For example, if you're any person with influence, there could be a video out there of you saying something that's like really terrible or that causes problems for other people. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, somebody could make a deep fake of, of president Trump saying that we're going to war with North Korea. And, um, you know, some people might see that and think it's real. Right. And that could actually cause panic and problems. Yeah. Especially if you're, you know, someone who is influential in North Korea. Well, and it doesn't help that if I heard that Trump said that, I'd believe it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it doesn't help that yeah, he's insane. True. You know, <laughs> but anyway, continue. No, you're right. Um, it's just it, these videos, these deep, deep fakes do have the potential to cause real damage. So mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, for for like the society at large, it is a problem that needs to be solved or at least one that needs to be investigated. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there, there is impetus to do so, especially when it gets into the extremes, like you brought up, I mean, war with North Korea or whatever else. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And when it's something that serious, I think people will jump on it. I think where, or, you know, we'll probably do that, that deep research, right? Like I said, I think where it's going to be run into an issue and I feel bad. Oh, do I feel bad for, for, for so many people? Um, because people have insecurities and other things that, you know, or, or self-esteem issues and other stuff that I really understand. Um, I mean, th- th- this could really be used as a, a blackmailing tool. This could be used, especially with social media, you know, bacon add in social media and all you have to do is make a video of somebody that you, you know, really want to not fuck, but fuck with. And I mean, I could see people committing suicide over this, you know, because a video of them got uploaded. It's a fake, but a video got uploaded to them. And they, even though it's a fake people, they, the consequences still occur of somebody getting shamed over it or whatever else. I don't think making laws around this stuff 
is is going to help anything, obviously. Uh, I don't think laws ever help. They always do more harm than good. But I think one of the things we've really got to resolve with this, or that that perhaps needs to change, and I want to know what you think about this, Ellen. The cultural mores around sex have to change. Like, it has to stop being, like, a shamed thing. It has to stop being, like, this, like, stuff that's supposed to be done under the cover of night, you know? Uh, or, you know, behind 20 closed doors and under seven sheets. That attitude's got to go away. Because I think that that's ultimately where this is going to, you know, really affect um, a lot a lot of people, you know? Is that there is this... Oh, this you see, this is why I wanted you on because this is such a challenging conversation, right? Yeah, you're right. Um, I I think it is important, and this is kind of an entirely separate topic. Mm-hmm. But the shame that people have around sex, I I think it goes really deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ingrained in Americans at least mm-hmm. their entire lives. Uh, is something that's like shameful and disgusting. Right. And you never talk to people about it. And if you do, it's like your best friends and you, you tell them like hoping that they're never going to talk about it to your parents or or siblings or, Mm -hmm. you know, people that you care about. And like, if someone who is in your family finds out that you're having sex, usually that's not a good thing. Right. I don't know. Maybe other people have different experiences, but I think that's the vast majority of experiences. Like I've met so, when I was in high school, I had so many friends that like I knew were having sex, but when I'd ask them, they would say, "No, no, of course not." Right. Like they didn't even want to admit to it. And to be honest, I like for years even after high school, I had shame about sex and I didn't want to talk about it and I didn't want to express it. Um because like women are giving you're given so many conflicting messages about it you know like you're supposed to be really sexy but then if you are you're a whore right um, and you don't want to be that uh so you're right there is a lot there's like very complicated issues surrounding shame and sex um so i guess it's important for people personally to forgive give themselves and forget about that shame and move forward in an empowered way. Um, But it's also important for other people who care about them to realize that they're humans and that's a major part of their humanity and it's normal just like anything else. Um, But I guess uh, there was something else I wanted to say uh, before we got into the conversation about shame with deep fakes. Right. And, you know, maybe there really is no solution to this uh, except for people being more educated about the fact that these exist and that it's possible that any video they see could be a fake. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I don't believe anything I see online anyway. You know, I mean, actually part of this show's MO is calling bullshit on what's online, you know, like that, that's what we do. Um, This is nothing. See, this is the thing for me is that deep fakes People are talking about it or treating it like it's something new. It's not really anything new. And that's why I think the problems are ultimately are very old, but, or or like the core of the issues, the core of the problems are very old. 
when I was in the nineties, when I was a teenager and the dial up modem would start up and everything, I mean, and I wouldn't even be on the internet. I'd go on a BBS on a bulletin board system, right? There were tons of Photoshopped pictures where someone would take uh, a Pamela Anderson or Sonny's, uh, you know, head and put it onto a nude body. Right. And, and often enough, they'd be black and white to kind of hide where the little Photoshop job was done and everything. <laughs> but I mean, that's essentially the same thing. Right. I, I mean, at, granted, deep fakes is on a more, you can argue, a visceral level, I suppose. OK, but ultimately, it's kind of the same thing. In fact, where does it and, and I'm asking these questions. And if you have answers, like, like, please, you know, share them. Like, where is this different than someone who. You know, I, I can only imagine, and I know because I've done this myself, who writes fiction, you know, and where they base it upon an actress or they base it upon a person they know, you know, and it's like erotica or something like that. Well, I think it's different because it'd be like you writing fiction about someone, but saying they are, they actually did this. Uh -huh. It's not fiction. Right. And I think that's the difference is that this is skewing the lines of reality. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think the photoshopped image is still kind of the same, but what you just mentioned is absolutely fair. Right. And, and, and again, maybe it is that visceralness of that is an action you are watching happen. It activates more of your senses. Yeah. Uh, that's probably part of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, I think a, a video is much more interactive and engaging to your senses than a picture is. Right. Um, and the technology is so good that it's like hard to tell if it's like that photoshopped image. Right. Yeah. I feel like this is a massive conversation because I, I don't know, like again, making say a deep fake, like when I first saw the first one with Daisy Ridley, you know, like where, 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 where do you draw the line between that and say the porn parody made of the force awakens, right? It's coming from the same spot is that someone wants to see an erotic version of a star Wars movie. Like you could argue that it, that like, like the impetus for making such a video, say with a deep fake in one case and the other case, having a actress with a likeness to Daisy Ridley. Yeah. But nobody believes that the actress that looks like Daisy Ridley is actually Daisy Ridley. Well, okay. That's a great point. That is, that is a great point to bring up. And besides, Daisy Ridley in Star Wars is playing a character that's not the person Daisy Ridley. Right, but then, you see, yeah, but that's what I feel like. It's like, where, where, do, you draw the, where do you draw the line, you know, on, on that? This, this, is, this is very, like, this, I'll admit it, this is challenging even for me. I get where you're coming from when I asked you, you know, like, how would you feel if this was done to you? You didn't like it. I just feel like it's a matter of respect. If you respect a person, respect that they agreed to have their picture taken or be in a video of a certain content, but they didn't agree to mm -hmm. be part of your porn. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I could come out and just say, look, man, if you've got to make a video like that, what the fuck? Like, make your life a fucking porn movie, all right? If you're that hot about it, but you can't because, well, anyway, I could get into some expletives. But, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could start insulting people. So yeah, I don't I mean, necessarily like, want to go down that What road. kind of accomplishment is it really to make a video like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <sighs> it's not, people. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll admit, like myself, so I have created fiction 
where the characters are based on are on real people. Admittedly, I asked every single one of those people, hey, I'm writing this. Are you okay with that? Yeah, but the readers don't know that. And you provide... Oh, I think so. I think a lot of them do, though, with mine. I think a lot of them do. But you, you're not providing as much information in the written word as you are with videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's true. That's true. The point I'm making is that, you know, there's a respectful way to go to go about, say, creating that kind of or creating content based on another person. Oh, and sure. this ain't it. Like deep fakes ain't it. That, 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 that's, that's sort of the point that I'm making here. Yes. Uh, you know, with, with as far as that goes. Um, and I mean, this article wasn't even really worried about the pornography part. I think, you know, the personal level is where we have much deeper problems. It's very simple to solve the big scale or the larger scale issue of how does this affect society? Just don't believe what you fucking see on the internet without doing any like real research. The personal level is, is I think also where, where I'm a little more concerned as far as this goes. What, what were you going to say? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any simple solution to this, mm-hmm. even on the large scale. Um, I think the title is absolutely right and that we're not ready for this because no. you can tell yourself all you want that I'm not going to believe anything I see on the Internet. Right. But the vast majority of us, you know, if we see something that's like shocking or something that feeds into a certain bias we have, we're going to buy into it right away. Yeah. Yeah. You're still going to have that initial reaction, right? Right. Uh, yeah. No, that's that, that that's fair. <sighs> it takes serious effort. <laughs> to make yourself question and be reasonable about everything that you see. Yes. Yeah. No, no, you're, you're totally right. It really does. And that's why most people aren't, I think, because it does take such effort, especially when you're so inundated today. And that's another problem, too, is that, I mean, you just have shit bombarding you all the time. I mean, you get you get worn out over it. And it's no wonder that some people would probably fall for deep fakes or they might even think, well, shit, that might actually be Daisy Ridley or, or whatever. I don't know. Well, then I hope somebody would ask, hey, Daisy Ridley, were you in this porn? Yeah, but isn't that kind of crass? Is this you? Yeah, right. Well, no, I don't think it's crass. Uh-huh. I, I think that if the creator didn't ask Daisy Ridley, I think she would appreciate somebody else asking, mm-hmm. is this you? Because mm-hmm. then she could actually respond to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, my kind of my final word on it with the more personal level, like say the more pornographic or the potential potential for using, you know, using it with pornography. Um, I, this, this admittedly, this tool does not interest me at all. I have no desire to use this. Um, and it's not because I'm with the most amazing in the woman in the world already. It's not necessarily because of that. It's because something I've known for a very long time, there, there is no video that there is no technology that can bring to life a lot of the things that are in my head, you know, and, and that, that I were, I mean, I just, no, like I, I know people think, well, CGI can do everything. Newsflash. No. It can't. <laughs> it really cannot illustrate everything that goes on in, in my mind. And my mind is a far more, uh, um, um, shall I say, powerful tool of pleasure 
than than any deep fake software could ever dream you know of, of of being and yeah i mean that that's that's what i've got on on that and and i frankly i this is the part that's going to be a little controversial but i question the mental health of a lot of people that want to engage in this sort of thing agreed actually yeah uh i mean because how could you okay you want to get with a gal get with the gal and if you can't and the, but then you kind of want to force the issue. I, yeah, see, this is where it gets. Sorry, I I know I said that was my final word, but this is where it gets into. You know, if a if a if a woman tells you no, right, and then you go and create a holographic program of her ultimately, or a deep fake of her, or something like that, I feel like that gets into some very strange territory. It is a violation. You you know you're you're going against her wishes directly. Yeah, I I can I can really I'm starting to see that as we talk about this more. I'm starting to see that that there, there's something very off and wrong with the person wanting to, I think to do that. Yeah, I I feel like a person who would do something like that is either vengeful or could potentially be a rapist. Um or, or at least somebody who's not uh, agreeable, you know, somebody who doesn't care about other people, maybe mm-hmm. someone who's a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I could see all of that. That doesn't mean that it's all necessarily true, but right. um, those are the tendencies of someone, I think, who would use this kind of technology for, for that purpose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let me ask you this. Okay. How would you feel if somebody made a porn video with you in it? See, this is the thing. This is why I wanted you on because you can't speak for everybody. Okay. Not you nor I, and you can't make broad swaths like women do this. Men do this. Cause that's horseshit. But ultimately I think men don't care. Right. And that's because, you know, <laughs> what it wins them cool points. No, not that it, I mean, may, you could argue that culturally that that occurs. Again, it's a cultural thing. It doesn't have to actually do with being a biological male. Um, culturally, yeah, I, I like me, and I've said this for years, you know, anything that somebody claims is like, oh, I heard Brian Sovereign did this, or I heard Brian Sovereign did this. And I just said, yep, yeah, I did it. I did it all. I did everything, you know, and, and I mean, and I, because I just don't care. And the reason being is that anytime that really I take offense to something like that, you know, like where my life, as long as my life's not on the line or anything like that, ultimately gives another party control over me. It controls my actions, reactions, and my direction. And I won't allow for that. And that's why I've always been a very uncensored person. And I've made sure people know that I'm uncensored, you know, and also why I'm also very vocal about, you know, a lot of my principles, because at the same time, if somebody posted online a deep fake of me, the, the deep fake I'd be a little more worried about than being in a porn movie would be one of like me snorting Coke, you know, or getting drunk or something like that or whatever. But people who know me in real life, and this is the importance of spending time with people in real life, know, or with, you know, being standing up for your principles, know, no, Brian Sovereign would never do that. Right. You yeah. know, like, like that, that's the, not, not a chance. Like that's bullshit. That's, that's a fake video that didn't happen. Okay. He's not David Hasselhoff, you know, throwing up over his kitchen floor, eating a burger off of it. You know, like that, that, that just wouldn't occur. And I say, and I love David Hasselhoff. I'm sorry, but it's just an example. Okay. Um, 
So that there's a solution there as well in being very vocal in who and what you are. Um, so that people know that this, that, that if ever this gets levied against you, that it's crap, you know? Right. Uh, but at the same time, like if somebody put up a deep fake of me in like a porn movie or something like that, I mean, I, I, I've already had people threaten me in emails and I've read them on the show. I've already had people threaten me that they claim they have video of me having sex or something like that. And I've written back to these, these black, uh, mail, these black mailers. I've written back to them and said, go ahead, put it online. Give me the link so I can put it in my show notes. You know, like I go for it, daddy, you know, like let's see what you've got. <laughs> and I know they don't have it, you know, but even if they did, fine. You know, like I, I just, again, you can't let people control you like that. And, and I think that's kind of the point I was getting to earlier. The problem is, is that for a guy that's very easy. Okay. Because Dick is abundant and low value. Right. And so, yeah, and there's also this weird cultural acceptance of guys just being studs and, you know, getting out there and putting their dick in as many holes as possible. Right. Guys stud, woman's a slut, right? Like exactly. That, that, yeah. That's the double standard. And if so, women did that, they'd get shamed. Right. That's why I, as deep fakes have been on my radar for years. I haven't talked about it on the show because, no, I want a woman on the show, someone that this is actually going to affect. Right. And, and you know, that like that, that's that's why I wanted to have you on to, to talk about it. And I'm glad you did, because beforehand I was a I was a little devil may care about this whole sort of thing. Wow. But now a, a little really. No, I mean, I respect how people want to be, you know, seen, presented, and treated, okay? But this conversation has really, because, I, I mean, I used to be of that, or I, I was of that camp, and in some ways still am, of, you know, you don't own the photons that hit your face. But just having this conversation with you has really helped me realize, no, no, there's something very fucked up about the person that wants to even engage in this. You know, like, like where, where, you know, you got turned down by that woman. Okay. But then you want to force your horse shit into your life. And so, you know, you're going to engage in using deep fakes or whatever else, or you're going to do all this. And I think there, there, there is something not clicking in that brain when they, when they engage in that. And, and, and again, that's why I wanted to have you on to have this conversation because I, I knew something like that was going to come to light. Yeah, it's just incredibly disrespectful. Yeah. And it could actually be damaging to someone's life. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is a tool again, this is a tool that I, I think could be could be a, a very real problem. Uh yeah, guys don't have on the line what women have on the line with this. You know, and, and I always knew that. And I'm not saying that I personally have anything on the line. Like if mm -hmm. a deep fake video of me showed up out there, I don't think that too much in my life would change. I mean, there's there are certainly video or there are pictures of me online that I wanted not attached to me. Yeah. Um, for various reasons, mostly professional. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I've changed my appearance enough over the years that it kind of doesn't look like me anymore. Sure. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, but I I think there there are people out there who do have a lot to lose. Or um, could be very hurt by something like that. Yeah. And I guess I just, I, I always want to, like, plea with people. Like, just be respectful, be kind, you know, to your fellow humans. Do yeah. the right thing. Don't, don't abuse the powers that you have if you're using this sort of software. Right. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, people have talked about like the same technology that powers deep fakes, how that can be used to really like, you know, create interesting multimedia with completely new people, right? Meaning not based off of someone else's face, not based off of you or Daisy Ridley or whatever. It's like, like a composite person yeah, made like, out of like 20 different people's characteristics. Yes. Something like that. Um, people have talked about like there, that there are positive uses for that as far as say entertainment or, or other things. And I, and I hear that and, and that does get into interesting, you know, I could see where there could be some positive uses. Um, so I don't, like, I don't want to take any action against this technology, but I do want people to bulwark in their minds the nature, the ramifications of it. You know, that, like, that's that's all I'm going for. And and I, I yeah, I, 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 I really have a problem with this. I'm not going to, I don't want, I'm not going to, like, you know, ban the software. Obviously, I don't even have that power if I wanted to, even if I wanted to, you know, but. I, I have, I have really, I'm, I'm really starting. I, I don't mean to psychologize people necessarily, but I'm just, I got to go there. I have very serious questions about people that want to engage in this sort of thing. Um, and I, boy, do I wonder, you know, and I, and again, obviously I'm no prude either. I am not, I, I've worked in the porn industry. Like, I mean, I've, I've been there. Okay. Like I, I know how that score goes. Of course, there's a reason I don't bother with it anymore either, because I know that that's not the healthiest environment either. But so, you know, you can't levy that on me either, but my, just my point is, is that, yeah, boy, this, this raises some, some very deep problems, I think. Uh, do, what, what, do you have any other thoughts on this, Ellen? Yeah, I'm just, I'm, well, there's a part of me that feels uh, glad that you're starting to question the mental health of anybody who uses the software because, or, or for they use the software for the purpose of creating like a deep fake porn with mm -hmm. someone. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I do think that that's a serious problem. Um, and it can only be for blackmail or because they feel that they don't have a chance with this person. So they're using their image without their permission. Um, and it just, you know, it hurts to know that anybody would do something like that. But, you know, the, there's other uses for this, like you said, mm -hmm. um, that could be benign. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp as you or I, I don't I, I'm aware that this could be a scary thing, but I'm also not totally against it because it does have some uses that could be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and. and I've talked about, uh, what was it? There, there was a chat app that a guy made where he basically programmed his dead father into yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. This is some years ago that I talked about this. Um, and I felt, and, and I, I more or less was, I mean, that got into deep fake territory after a fashion in that basically saying that, and I mean, and I've appreciated like in Star Wars Rogue One, where you had the likeness of Alexander Cushing, uh, you know, playing Governor Tarkin again, or you had um, Carrie Fisher playing a very, you know, being a very young, and this is in The Rise of Skywalker as well, where she's a younger Leia, right? And of course, she's even gone. And Rise of Skywalker even drove my point home that I made in that episode. And basically, I was saying is, is that I think it's disrespectful to the person when you try to recreate who and what they are 
you know, in the, in that way. And it's just, it's not, it's not the same, you know, like. It's let, not true to their memory. Right. Just like I wouldn't want audio versions of deep fakes used for me. Like if someone wanted, well, you know, we, we have an idea of what Brian would say about this. And so we're going to make sovereign tech into perpetuity, even if he's not, a, you know, gone or, or even if he's gone or something like that. No, that's not me. <laughs> it, and, and, and that's the bottom line is it's not me. Don't disrespect me by you know, making me do things that I didn't do, you know, and, and then that, I think that hits at this too. It's the same thing. Yes. It's, it's disrespectful to the person to, 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 you know, have them engage in, 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 in something that, you know, that they, they didn't really do and to try and like present them to the world as, ah, here they are when no, that's not them. Yeah. And I, I think you have probably heard this hundreds of times from your, your friend Harlan Ellison. Yes. Um, not that he was involved in deep fakes or anything, but he was a stickler about his writing. I mean, yes. the thing that he didn't want more than anything else was for his writing to be changed. Right. It had to be true to what he wrote. And yes. he would rather, he would kill to keep it that way. Yes. In fact, I think I played that audio recently on an episode where he was talking about that with Tom Snyder. And yeah, he said, he, or, oh, what, how did he, he was so beautiful. He says, he said, he said, you could, you could burn the American flag for all I care. He's like, you touch my writing though. And you are dead. You know, it's like, I have no patriotism only to myself. And, and like, that was his whole point. And oh, that was so beautiful of him to say You're, that that's, that's brilliant of you to bring up Ellen. Uh, and, th and that's really it. Like, don't misrepresent me. Yes, you know? And that's people, what this is doing. People who have a strong sense of identity. They right. don't want this sort of thing to happen. And like, for even people who are questionable about, you know, maybe their identity is changing, but they still want to have control and ownership over it. Right. Because it's really the only thing that you have control over. Yeah. And, and this isn't arguing for IP before anybody thinks that, like, I think we're arguing that they think we're arguing for intellectual property or something like that. No, this is just about respecting other people. It's, it's that, it's that simple. Um, in fact, Harlan would bring this up, like with Disney, right? Disney never gave credit to the authors of all those, you know, fantastic animated movies that they would make. They were based on original works by people either hundreds of years ago or whatever else. They would never, ever, ever give them the credit. Harlan hated that, you know, and rightfully so. Like, give credit where it's fucking due. I mean, you know, my influences, I wear them on my sleeve. And I want people to know when I'm taught, when I'm referencing somebody else or when, you know, I, I, I lifted an idea because everything's a remix. I said that at the top of the show and it's still true. Okay. But you know what? I, th I think essentially the reason that you do that is because you love and care about people. Yes. Because you're a, a good, kind person and you're sane. Believe it or not, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and there are people out there who don't do that because they don't care about other people. Yeah. They don't want other people to get the credit or they just don't care about the consequences to other people. But I, I think giving that respect to people is kind of a, a side effect or like an emergent property of being a loving person. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad I had you on for this. I, I I knew it would get it would we'd get some we'd get to something that other people aren't talking about. And I guarantee us at what we we've talked about like has not been laid out. I haven't seen it in a single article. I mean, other than yes, you know, respect the person, you know, or whatever. But I don't think anybody went this distance with it. And 
you're absolutely brilliant in bringing all of that to four. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I don't have anything else like re really to say on it, but that that's it. Like this is, you have, to, I, I think you've got to question the mentality of someone that even wants to do this, you know, um, I could go other places. We could get into Instagram filters and, you know, and then, and, and other stuff that, that I have all kinds of, of issues with, because also I don't want, I don't want people themselves to be fake, you know, in front of the world. Like I want people to be honest. Well, I think that's something we should talk about at some point too, because that is a big conversation and that actually, um, yeah, it's just huge. And there's so many different aspects. To yeah. It. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation. All right. We're going to table that, but it's going to stay on the table. We're going to have that conversation. Uh, at, at, at some point Instagram here. filters, Instagram filters, Snapchat filters, whatever else we got. We, we I want to talk about these. That that that's a conversation that has to happen. Anyway, and it's going to bring in one of my favorite topics too, which is makeup. Woo! All right. Oh <laughs> man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm, I am writing this down in the show in the in my uh, my template notes to to make sure that we talk about this. This is going to be dynamite. Um, all right. So anyway, we'll table that for now. We'll take a little break. We'll come back and uh, we'll talk about something a little more fun. How about that? Okay. Yeah. We'll be right good. back with more Sovereign Tech. Woo! Hey, baby, I know, I know you are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail, okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup. And it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. The Golden Stallion doing whatever he wants to do. The Climax. It is time for, well, we'll call it the Climax. How about that? Um, where we get to talk about whatever we want to talk about. And, you know, what has happened often, Ellen, when you've been on the show lately, is we end up talking about aliens. And we're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> what? We, I know. But but we are going to talk about dinosaurs, uh, which is a favorite subject of all well, of a lot of people, quite frankly, but certainly a, a top subject of yours and mine. Oh, certainly. Especially when I was five years old. Hell yeah. But that interest never went away. Right. Same. Same here. Uh, in fact, is it still on the side of, of your desk? There, there should be a, an, an Indoraptor over there. <laughs> yeah, if it's climbing up the side of my desk. Yeah. <laughs> of course, from uh, uh, the, the latest uh, Jurassic Park movie. But anyway, speaking of, uh, of raptors, you shared a story with me, which played very well into another story that we're going to get into. Um, and, well, here, I'll, I'll, I'll read the, the headline. It's from Sci News. Um, paleontologists find fossil of 70 million year old polar raptor. Uh, paleontologists have uncovered the fossilized jaw, jawbone of a juvenile dromaeosaur raptor. Dromaeosauridae. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go with raptor. Uh, dinosaur <laughs> that lived, that, that's basically what that means, uh, that lived 70 million years ago in what is now northern Alaska. Uh, 
Raptors is a group of small to medium-sized feathered predatory dinosaurs that flourished in the Cretaceous period. These dinosaurs lived all over the world, but their bones are often small and delicate and rarely preserve well in the fossil record, uh, complicating efforts to understand the paths they took as they dispersed between continents. North American raptors are thought to trace their origins to Asia, and Alaska would have been a key region for the dispersal of their ancestors. The new fossil is a tantalizing clue toward understanding what kinds of raptors, it actually says dromaeosaurs, but uh, inhabited this crucial region. Quote, there are places where dinosaur fossils are so common that a scrap of bone in most cases cannot really add anything scientifically informative anymore. End quote, said lead author Dr. Elfio Alessandro Chiarenza, a paleontologist at the Imperial College London. Quote, this is not the case with this Alaskan specimen, end quote. Quote, even with such an, an incom- incomplete jaw fragment, we are not only able to work out the evolutionary relationships of this dinosaur, but also to picture something more on the biology of these animals, ultimately gaining more information on the ancient Arctic ecosystem, end quote. Uh, I mean, so what was what was going on with this story that like really highlighted it for you? There's more. Um, so this I, is an amazing find, no doubt, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was really impressed by this article because I think um, the not maybe not for the paleontologists themselves, but for mm-hmm. people who read about these paleontologist findings, um, there's kind of this idea that uh, we've got it for the most part worked out, like all the details are fit into these neat and ordered theories about how things evolved and right. where they came from. And like, like for me, for my sort of like schema of how the world came to be, I never pictured raptors living in the polar regions. Right. You know, I, like they're supposed to be in warmer regions, at least from what I've learned my entire life. But it's just amazing. Like, this is not the case. They were really adaptable and able to live in all sorts of different environments. And Yeah, and I know the story talks about it, but this fossil basically shows that, I mean, now the idea that, that dinosaurs evolved into birds, um, of course, I would question, I would argue that maybe they also evolved into some other things, but that's a completely different subject, maybe something for a user podcast. Uh, but, um, you know, the idea that they evolved into birds now, like birds, I think a lot of archeologists or a lot of, uh, yeah, right. You know, the people that research dinosaurs in general, I know that that's actually a broad, a broad scope, um, that they, they want to apply this notion that dinosaurs are also migratory, right? Much like birds are, but this fossil is actually showing, no, no, no. They probably lived in Alaska year round. Uh, or lived in the Arctic year round. Um, that's, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. What do you got? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it takes uh, a lot of fortitude for a species to survive in the polar regions. Right. I mean, you think about the animals that are living there now. Granted, uh, the environment was different back then than yes. it is now. But uh, when you hear polar, I mean, it is necessarily like one of the coldest places on the planet because it's on the pole. Yeah. Um, so even if the world was overall warmer or had more oxygen back then, um, it's still, you know, a, an extreme environment, all things considered. Yeah, there's there's a guy and he's been 
he was both respected and then would later get attacked. Uh, who was uh, a professor, an archaeologist, a bunch of things. Charles Hapgood was this guy's name. Um, he's a contemporary. I mean, he wasn't like from, you know, 200 years ago or anything. And he had a theory that there was a dramatic polar shift uh, millions of years ago or thousands. I mean, like, you know, that, that basically the earth as we know it, like changed really, really dramatically, really fast due to this polar shift. And it raised a lot of questions of, you know, what was the temperature originally like in Antarctica before this polar shift occurred and everything. And I kind of feel like, now I'm not going to go into Charles Hapgood's theories here necessarily, but I feel like this is this might be this polar raptor, this concept, and especially that they were there year round, might shed some, uh, uh, might might give some credence to Charles Hapgood's ideas that a lot of people would argue have been discredited. Um, so I found that part of this really interesting, but. Looking at like the polar raptor or the you know, renditions, should I say, of mock-ups of what the polar raptor probably looked like, you get the sense they look like they kind of look like chickens in a way, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe you can kind of likeness. see it. You, you can see the the the, the bird uh, the bird aspects, well, right? I appreciate that in this illustration they drew these raptors with feathers. Yes, um, and you can definitely see that in their their arms or wings and their tails. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of feathery detail. So sure. I, I think a lot of people are running with this idea now that, that dinosaurs did evolve into chickens or other birds. Into birds, yeah. Well, interesting thing. So this is a story that I've had kind of saved for a little bit. It originally ran in 2015. It recently got republished. Of course, nothing's really been done with it uh, as far as I know. But it's from entrepreneur.com, of all things. And here's the headline. Scientists say they can recreate living dinosaurs within the next few years. And I think these kind of play into each other. And, and so l l let me read a little bit of this. Um, Don't we already know how the movie is going to end? In a potentially terrifying case of life imitating art, the renowned paleontologist who served as the inspiration for Jurassic Park protagonist Dr. Alan Grant is spearheading genetic research that could engineer dinosaurs back into existence within the next five to 10 years, he says. Now, grant you, this is done in 2015. It's five years later. Hasn't happened. But <laughs> Well, there, there might be good cause for that, but let's finish reading the story. Sure. While Dr. Jack Horner, who, was, who has consulted on all four Jurassic films, initially believed the key to recreating the prehistoric creatures lay in working with ancient DNA strands, Further study about DNA degradation over time has ruled out that possibility. Haha, -ha, there it is. Right, see, that's why it's not happening. Yeah, because they couldn't get any viable DNA from mm -hmm. any of the dinosaur bones that they found. Right. It was a good theory, Michael Crichton, but not happening. Right. Yeah, so while well, reading on, instead, a group of scientists at Harvard and Yale have turned their eye to, wait for it, the modern-day chicken. Uh, quote, of course, birds are dinosaurs, Horner told People magazine, so we just need to fix them so they look a little more like a dinosaur, end quote. In an attempt to reverse evolution, the team has already made significant strides in mutating chickens back to the very creatures from which they descended. If that wasn't enough genetic splicing and dicing, Harvard scientists attempted a similar feat recently by inserting the genes of a woolly mammoth into elephants in order to recreate the extinct beasts. Whoa, baby. If the four major differences between dinosaurs and birds are their tails, arms, hands, and mouths, 
Horner and team have already flipped certain genetic switches in chicken embryos to reverse engineer a bird's beak into a dinosaur-like snout. Quote, actually, the wings and hands are not as difficult, end quote, Horner said, adding that a chicken osaurus, as he calls the creation, is well on its way to becoming reality. Quote, the tail is the biggest project, uh, but on the other hand, we have been able to do some things recently that have given us hope that it won't take too long, end quote. So that's basically the story. I mean, I'm asking you, as a scientist, I mean, how do you feel about this? Um, well, first of all, I, I just want to say that, like, based on what I know, and, and this is the kind of field that I could potentially be working in Yeah, someday. because you're in... Uh, Bioengineering. Exactly, yes. Um, yeah, so this this is something that could potentially be done, and I'm sure people have heard about that, but there's this theory that... Um, as an embryo is developing, it goes through stages of development that kind of mimic the evolutionary development of uh -huh. the being. I mean, like, even human embryos for a very brief period while they're developing develop gills because, you know, at some point in our evolution, we right. came from fish. Kind of like how dolphins have phalanges in their fins. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... I, I do believe that it's possible for chickens to be reverted to a previous stage of evolution because the DNA, as it evolved, you know, it was added to or mutated. But the essential basis of what a dinosaur was is still in a bird's DNA. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you just need to modify it enough to make it look like what it previously was. Though there's no guarantee that you'll exactly get it right because, again, mutations have happened. So... Uh, there's no way to, like, get it exactly back to what it was unless you had a perfect DNA specimen. So whatever they create, I, I think it's fair of him to call it a chicken-saurus because it's not going It's going to be it's something different. It's not going to be a dinosaur. Right. right. Um, but it's going to be very much like what a dinosaur would have been like. Uh, and, you know, I... I remember writing a paper about this in <laughs> ethics class a few years back. Okay. Um... You know, there's the ethical question of, like, is it all right for human embryos to be genetically modified? Um, like, for example, if you want to make sure that your baby doesn't have certain genetic illnesses, or if you want them to be, like, stronger or smarter. Um, I, I just talked about the genetic illnesses. I wasn't talking about, like, adding abilities, just, like, taking away some of the bad things. Sure. Um and essentially what I came to at that time was, you know, if we have the ability to do it, uh, why shouldn't we? But, you know, since then, I've kind of reconsidered my stance on that. <laughs> uh, well, that's a very, boy, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Jurassic Park this whole time. I mean, that's exactly what Ian Malcolm says in that, you know, it's, uh, it's like we were so busy thinking whether or not we could, we never stopped to think if we should. And right. yeah, but continue. Yeah, but I, I think that's a very important question to ask is, uh, you know, is this actually a good thing to do? Is it the right thing to do? Um, and and so it's really important to consider that evolution took billions of years to mm -hmm. do what it did. Um, and no changes were that dramatic except maybe extinction level events. But there was no, as far as we know, <laughs> there is no greater intelligence toying with genetic codes and causing things to happen. Right. Um and we have to be aware that if we do start playing with genes the way that this is happening, we are inevitably going to create a dramatic shift in the natural order. And 
who knows what's going to happen because of that. There is no way to predict how that's going to top. It's going to have a, a, a sort of domino effect on the rest of the world. You know, you're adding in a new being all of a sudden and the world doesn't have time to, you know, respond adapt. and adapt. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I've talked about this in the past, like with the woolly mammoth situation that they brought up. I have no problem with the woolly mammoth getting reintroduced because as best we can tell the woolly mammoth actually, in fact, at the time, the research I had done had come to the had basically shown that, okay, the woolly mammoth basically disappeared about 6,000 years ago, which is so recent. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's actually even more recent that there's a chance that like, you know, the Mastodon or woolly mammoth, like in North America was being hunted in 1700 BCE, like that's, that's barely 3000 years, you know, uh, just over 3000 years ago. That's, that's, that's far less. And so, you know, I would argue that the, um, the ecology, the, uh, the, you know, the biosphere has not, uh, yet, you know, adapted necessarily. I mean, I guess to some degree it's adapted, it's adapted to the loss of the woolly mammoth, Oh, Maybe. yeah. There's but, tons of invasive species now. But, right. But it's a lot different. Oh, and we could have a huge conversation. We had a great conversation last weekend with someone about all of that, about megafauna in North, North America and everything. And that, that, that gets into like Randall Carlson's work and, and so on. But, you know, basically I'm saying the earth, it hasn't been that long since the earth hasn't had the woolly mammoth. So if you want to reintroduce it, okay, the earth can handle that. You know, or the biosphere can handle that. We can handle that. Well, I don't know if humans could. Well, humans can't handle anything. But no. <laughs> the Earth could handle it, yes. Right. Um, but, you know, reintroducing dinosaurs or the chickenosaur or whatever, that, you know, we're then we're talking about kind of like the, the polar raptor, right? Where that's 70 million years ago. We're not talking 3,000 to 6,000 years. We're talking millions and millions and millions of years. That's a long time. Yeah, there's no more niche in uh, in the food chain for exactly. that animal. It's exactly. going to have to force its way into some sort of position in in the food chain and in the environment. Right. So I feel like this is, uh, if you were saying that this is some dangerous territory, I'm with you on that, that this is, this is some dangerous territory. Yeah. And I like, even if this chicken Saurus was just being created as like a curiosity at a zoo, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, you go to a museum and they have this special show with chicken Sauruses and their trainer. What kind of life is that? They don't belong anywhere. Right. Right. Uh, you're just holding them hostage and they, aren't even able to experience all of the evolutionary drives that they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> Boy, we could take this conversation some places because what do you got? I, I just feel like it's bad all around. It's great for research purposes, but when it comes to creating new creatures like this, I, I think that, should stay in the realm of video games. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm going to bring this concept up. It is a fact 
It is a scientific fact. It is just a fact. People, we, our brains cannot handle this fact. And I understand that. It is a paradoxical relationship that we have with reality that I think people need to at least accept the paradox uh, that, that it is so. When we get into a lot of this gene splicing and everything, I mean, look, in an abstract sense, when you make choices based upon physicality or mental fitness or whatever of who is going to be, say, the father or mother of your child or something along those lines, you are engaging ultimately in, in somewhat of a genetic program. Well, selective breeding, but yep. there's nothing wrong with that. That's still allowing for natural evolution to occur. Uh, I mean, there's there's some artificial selection being done there. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, I agree that that can have negative consequences eventually. But mm-hmm. um, as far as choosing mates goes, if as long as that's a choice that you're making because you want to make it, uh, that's just how evolution happens. Sure. Okay. Right. I mean, desirable traits and so on. I mean, actually, you know, one of the books I didn't bring up earlier that I was reading that is very fascinating is uh, The Naked Ape by Desmond Morris. Um, and he, boy, this guy, for for whatever reason, makes a really big deal about the fact that humans seem to have been selectively bred to have really big cocks. And really big tits. Yes. Both. Yes. Both. And in fact, humanity as a species, and I'm going to get into this, but humanity as a species, like that has been like, we have the biggest dicks and the biggest tits in the animal kingdom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. now, we win. <laughs> now, now, now I'm going to, I'm going to say something, but then I'm going to bring up a paradoxical antithetical to this whole thing. Okay. But, but it, it is not uninteresting <laughs> that, that, that these are things that have been chosen. Okay, like, I mean, that, that it is abundant. And Desmond Morris has taken a lot of heat for this. I mean, he's respected in his field, but he has taken a lot of heat for this, for, for these points. And, and, and I think the book, The Naked Ape, is tremendous. It's, it's a fantastic read. Uh, but, you, you know, you got to understand that it, it seems evolutionarily these were traits that were considered, like, a good thing. I am not making judgments around that. Okay, Desmond Morris may or may not. But I'm, I'm, I'm just, just stating that, okay, that those are traits that have been, you know, where, where people, you know, looked at that and went with it. Now, I, only, I, I don't necessarily, I, I bring that up in, in response to something you had said. But the point that the scientific paradox, the scientific factual paradox that I'm going to bring up is that ultimately there is no such thing as a species. Like that is a false classification. Literally everything is is an individual, is individualistic, is unique. We can't process the universe that way, right? Like that, that's that's not possible. Uh, what do you got? What do you got? Come on, come on. That come on. statement makes me a little uncomfortable because sure. while you can say that a species is just a classification, it's a mm-hmm. tool that humans use to gain knowledge about something Mm -hmm. but it's also a fact that you have to be of the same species in order to reproduce successfully yes yes be compatible you can have a horse and a donkey give birth to a mule but it's going to be sterile it's not going to be able to reproduce on its own can ligers reproduce no 
They cannot. No, they're born sterile as well. Uh-huh. That's very interesting. Yeah, so a species is... I. It's a classification, but it's also a real thing in the sense that an animal has to be the same species as its partner in order to reproduce successfully. And I would say that's the definition. Okay, so so it's a measure of compatibility. Yes. Okay, but I don't think that's the way people think about species. I agree with you. That's what it should be. Okay. Well, that's what it factually is. Uh, right. Okay. But I don't think that's the way like most people most people think about that. And this has been a very challenging thought for me. Uh, as it has come to light for me. Okay. Like this has been very, very challenging. I like the way you put that a measure of compatibility. Right. Yeah. So, well, this is something I've been thinking about pretty hard because I think this is a very key concept. In fact, it might be the thing that I was talking about earlier with with Josiah Warren, but I won't go back to that. The point that, so, I mean, like there's this idea of, and, and I get it, like that basically the, the argument against genetic engineering from an argument of you want the, like you said, the natural order or let evolution take its course, you know, and, and, and so on. I understand that. And I've appealed to that myself in the past many times. But I've also always made the caveat that I worry that evolution can basically become God. Like you, you can, like you could replace the word evolution with God and you end up with basically the same result. And and that rubs me the wrong way. Right. I guess, I mean, evolution is something that takes such a long time to occur that we'll never perceive it in a single lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let, let me, let me run this through and, and, and get, you know, where, where I'm going with this was as far as it relates to the chickenosaur, because I'm sure everybody's wondering, wait, how does this relate to the chickenosaur? My concern is, is that when people are engaging in this kind of action with the chickenosaur, where they're trying to bring back the dinosaurs, bring back the species, right? My concern is, is that the way they are thinking is that, well, we can change XYZ in a certain species like chickens and turn them into dinosaurs. When that is completely ignoring the idea, or not the idea, the what I consider the fact that no two chickens are alike. In fact, you shouldn't even call, like like philologi- philologically, language-wise, you should not one you know like there's chicken one and chicken two. They are two unique creatures. And that's what I mean by that. There's no such thing as species. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Species can measure compatibility. Correct. Like what can, what can reproduce and so on. And that's an important point to bring up, I think, but everything is different. Everything is unique, right? But we can't think that way because we would just spend all of our time inventing new names for everything we encounter that we would never be able to like actually think you know, and like, and, 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 and process the information. We would never get to where we are now. In fact, even using we is a bit of a problem. Isn't it? But do, do you get where I'm going, what I'm saying with this? Yeah, I, I just have a question. Yeah. How about animals that clone themselves? Are like, those unique? Like through meiosis? Or like, I mean. That, yeah, yeah. Budding or asexual reproduction. That's a great, I mean, it's a great question. Again, this is, this is a challenging thought for me. It's not, it's not a new thought. People a couple hundred years ago were covering this and they're, and I, 
I know they're not wrong. Um, they're all individuals, but are they unique creatures if they share the same exact genetics? Like stem to stern, they are the exact same thing. Yeah, if if there's no sperm meets the egg moment, then it's just an exact clone or exact copy. replication. Yes. Of the, yeah, of, of of the genetics. Although there, the only difference is like once the the daughter separates from the mother, uh, they have they lead separate lives and have different experiences. That's the only difference. I'm I'm going to give you the most scientifically accurate response that I can. I don't know. And I'll get back to you on that. Okay. And that and that takes. I don't say that like I'm not saying that in a crass way. I am. I'm raise, raising that point because too many people think they have to come up with an answer on the spot. Right. No, I appreciate that yeah. you're honest about it. Right, and I know you do. And, and 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 so, but I'm saying that is that because people need to get used to like saying I don't know, and I'll get back to you on that. That that is, that is a beautiful statement to make, and I love it when I hear it from anybody else. You know, and I respect it. So anyway. Um, I don't know when I'll get back to you on that, but I worry that like when we are getting into, when we are playing God, okay, as a lot of people like to use that term when this kind of thing is happening, like with the chicken osaur, when we are playing God, we are doing so thinking that, well, when I change it in one chicken, you know, this is how it shall be for all chickens for all time. And this is just as much as it is for humans where they want to write out the code for for varying cancers or something like that in their DNA, right? Um, I, I, I bristle and worry when people are thinking that broadly because literally every creature, everything is unique. Just like no, you know, no snowflake is the, sna- is the same. No grain of sand is the same as another. Everything is absolutely unique. I don't, ha- I don't have to appeal to the evolutionary argument if I don't want to. The bottom line is, is that every, everything is unique. Everything is a mutant from the other. And with that in mind, to try to like create a new species like, like this, at this scale, at this level, uh, you know, this is far beyond hybridizing plants or anything along those lines. Um, I, this, this gets back to kind of like what we were talking about with deep fakes. I worry about the mindset of this kind of, per, of, of the person that wants to engage in this. Uh, so what, what do you think that they're hoping for? Because at the end of the article, it says we've been able to do some things recently that is, have given us hope that it won't take too long to create this new chicken species. So what, why do you think they're hoping that it won't take too long to create this. Why are they so excited to have a chicken saurus? That's another part that I can't answer. And I thought about it too, when I read this was wait, what, what's the motive? Like, why are you doing this in the first place? And there's no way it's that it's because they want to make a Jurassic park. I'm sorry. There's no amount of money that, an actual Jurassic Park, like it couldn't make enough money to fund this research. This research must have some other purpose. And there would be so many people raising their arms up going, no, don't <laughs> yeah, do right. It. <laughs> right. There's something, this, the, they are doing this and they're making it sound cool. Right. To, and to many people, maybe it does sound cool. There's some purpose behind this. You can't possibly be making or getting provided the millions of dollars 
just to bring back the dinosaurs? Like that 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 doesn't gel. That like that that that's that's not a good enough reason. That cannot like when you think about the economics of Jurassic Park, again, there's no way it could make the money to fund this research. You know what this reminds me of? Mm-hmm. Um last year I was listening to a collection of short stories, uh sci-fi stories. Um and there was there was a story that in the the plot was based off of this idea that archaeologists could use this device to go back in time and study ancient creatures in their natural environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they even had the option of bringing them back to their own time, but they couldn't release them outside of this time cone. Otherwise, they would just disappear, vaporize. Yeah. Um, and it became a real business. Um, and and the whole plot of the story, actually, that, that was just like a small part of it. The main story was about bringing back a, I think it was like a Cro-Magnon or one of the human precursors. Yeah. Bringing it to the present and keeping it locked up in one of these time cones. And there was a woman that had to be hired to like be its maid. Uh, anyway, uh it was it was really sad because they formed a relationship and she found out like wow he's actually really relatable and he's mm-hmm. just like any other little boy he's just ugly right <laughs> uh, but the whole idea of creating a dinosaur again I think is sort of like the real counterpart to that short story where like they can't go back in time to study these animals so they're doing what they actually can do which is kind of reverse engineering these animals to what their their previous evolutionary state was in order to study their behavior that way. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, it's turning back the clock. I, I don't know. That's my best guess, is that they want to study dinosaur behavior. Right. <sighs> Even that, I kind of... Because, like, so this gets into the NASA argument. Like, it's it's not a bad idea. You know, so NASA's funding, you know, their claim is, is that, well, the better we understand the rest of the solar system, the better we understand Earth. And that's why NASA's mission is so worthwhile. It's so that we can understand our planet better. Now, that argument is true. It is, you do, we do get to understand the Earth better the more we explore Venus. We do get to understand the Earth better the more we explore Mars. You know, I mean, all of that is completely accurate. But at the same time, that's marketing. NASA's mission and budget is all around surveillance. It's all around, point, you know, having getting satellites up there and whatever else and to point it down on the people on Earth. Like the, the original concepts behind an American space program. And this isn't stuff from ancient aliens. This is from like real documentaries. Uh, the, the the whole purpose of the space program was to, you know, beat the Russians, of course, but was really to, you know, was to create a top, you know, a, a atmosphere down surveillance system on the planet. That that's what it's all about, you know, and and so, I mean, it morphed into other things. They found other profitable things to do, you know, as an organization, but ultimately that that's where it came from. You know, and that's still at the heart of it, in my opinion. 
so I don't know. Like, like even if that's true, I still feel like there has to be something else behind it. Like you've got to justify all that, all those research dollars somehow. And I just, I don't know where that can go, but I mean, do, do you have anything you want to say to that? I don't know. It sounds like you're kind of implying that they're going to create a chicken source army that they're going to let loose on people at some point <laughs> when it's useful to them. Uh, that and actually, nobody's going to know what to do. Not unironically, that is the plot of uh, of Jurassic uh, of or of Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Like that 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 is the entire plot of it. Is that that's what the Indoraptor that I mentioned earlier was for? Was to be a soldier? Was to be a, a programmable soldier? Um, ah, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that. I just I'm saying I don't know. But more has to like they're not just throwing that money at that at this project without some kind of really high level ROI. And again, a real world Jurassic park does not provide for that. Um, Well, if I can just comment briefly, um, this sort of genetic engineering has actually gotten much cheaper and easier over the last decade. Um, Well, that and other methods uh, that, that might not be as popular Mm. as of buzzwords or anything like that. But um, the technology to do this sort of genetic engineering has become much more available, uh, much easier to use, much more accessible, cheaper. So it might not be that much of a huge investment, like on the order of billions of dollars or whatever. Sure. Um, It might just be a few million per year. Well, that's a fair counterpoint to bring up and I'm glad you did. I mean like that, that that's, that is possible. You know, and I and, and I guess I'm open to that. Um, still doesn't make it a good idea, but at the very least, maybe there's not something nefarious behind it, right? Right. It might just be a team of really devoted, albeit misguided, scientists. <laughs> Isn't that how all terrible things happen? No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I'm not speaking ill of scientists, but uh, <laughs> well, it's amazing. Actually, I've come to find that. There, there are teams of scientists who are working on projects that I would find horrendous on an ethical framework, but sure. the work that they're doing is really incredible. Like they, they are making smart moves and finding very interesting things right? and doing things that have previously never been done. Um, so, so in one sense, it's amazing and, and I, I'm impressed, but on yeah. the other hand, it's like, why? Don't do that, please. Yeah, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Well, let's hope for the best. Uh, that, 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 uh, uh, what's his name again? <sighs> Shit. Horner. Horner. Yeah, Jack Horner. I, I, I know it was Jack. I couldn't think of the last name. Let's, let's hope for the best. And <laughs> that, I mean, again, I'm not. And I, and I should say, like, I'm not necessarily opposed to genetic engineering, um, but there is a certain, there are certain abstract concepts that make me feel a little more comfortable when people engage in it, uh, that, that I think they have, like, the, the right ideas about how life works, you know, where I feel a little more comfortable about it. Like, there are people who talk about doing genetic engineering on humans to where they are more adaptable to living in outer space. I'm not opposed to this, you know, diversifying, uh, uh, you know, humanity as it were. Okay. Um, not a, not, you know, I'm not necessarily, you know, again, opposed to this notion. Um, but then 
yeah, I, I want to see where they're coming from. And I'd love to just have like conversations with these people. So what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And, and, and just see, see if they've got their head screwed on straight. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really important. I mean, whenever I think about this sort of topic, I think about dogs mm-hmm. and how they all descended from wolves. And then you have like pugs and chihuahuas and poodles. Um, and some of them genuinely have problems as they Your age. Pugs can't breathe. Right. The, their nasal passages are just too shoved up in their face. Right. Um, there are other dogs that like get leg and hip problems very commonly mm-hmm. um, or have heart problems because they're just too yeah. big or they're just built in a way that they never should have been. And that was selective breeding. Right. Um, and while dogs are, you know, they're still essentially wolves mm-hmm. um like they're not different species per se they can all interbreed with each other um some of them i think never would have evolved naturally and their lives are going to be shorter than they would have been or less quality than they would have been if humans hadn't interfered yeah um that being said there's nothing wrong with having like a hundred different breeds of dogs uh, and I think we can all appreciate their differences. And, you know, even if you're not a person who loves dogs, you still have to admit, like, some of them are pretty cute. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and another thing I want to point out is with dogs, we can look at them and appreciate all of the different breeds and varieties. But with humans, it's so much harder. Yeah. Why is it so much harder to appreciate the variety in humans? Yeah. Wh- uh, oh, boy. Talk about the uh, the ten billion dollar question. <laughs> I know what you mean, and you're raising a great point. And and also, I do think it points at our inability to accept uniqueness and differences. You know, we we'll bring this a bit full circle. I think Alfred Adler. Oh no, I just lost 20 more listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Alfred Adler raises a very interesting concept that humanity are ultimate we're, we're community builders. Yes. Like like we're a social species, this is what we do. We do that because it is to make up for our weaknesses. Right? Yeah, if I have a blind spot, I'd like to have someone around who can see that or at least see sure. in my blind spot. Yeah. We're not, we're not gazelle that, you know, basically get shit out of our moms and just start running, you know, and like f- almost full speed, like inside of 30 seconds, suddenly, boom, you know, they're, they're, they're bouncing everywhere. We're not that, you know, we, we're, we barely even have our brain functioning when we come out. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we form communities to make up for our weaknesses in comparison to other aspects of the animal kingdom of which we are a part. Um, so you're saying the family is the first community that you belong to. Yeah. I, I mean, just, just by, by the, you know, by the, by the, the nature of it, um, that, that occurs. And I had a point of where I was going with this, but <laughs> What, what, what were we talking about? We were talking about how difficult it is for humans yes, to appreciate right. the variety. Exactly. So I think that we, we want to find our we because we inherently are looking to overcome our weaknesses within our we, you know, within our community. And so I think that's why a lot of people don't want to accept concepts of 
individuality, uniqueness, and differences because we are looking for that safety net of the community. Well, perhaps people feel more emotionally safe with people that they're very similar to. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so important to embrace differences in people because they're their difference. They could have strengths where you have a weakness. Yeah. And they have weaknesses where you have strengths. So you can empower each other. Yeah. And this is where the per- where the average person's short-sightedness comes in is they don't understand the notion of biodiversity. Like as in having those differences, yes, can complement and can actually go far beyond what you think a community of like individuals, how that eliminates weaknesses. Oh, no, no, no. Wait until you get like a bunch of smorgasbord of, of different types of people you're going to have a community so strong, you know, again, that's that biodiversity or that diversity of interests, division of labor, which is a big part of of Adler's, uh, you know, psychology. Um, Yeah. That that comes into play when you have people with different abilities, but it goes down a road that I think ultimately lands at where I was talking about where really there is no such thing as a species, you know, Uh, and and that might not be the best way of phrasing that. I, 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 Appreciate that, you know, with, with your clarification. But that's not the point. Point being, I think that's I think that's the answer. Why I think it's because people inherently want a community, and the easiest way to build one is to look for similarities instead of differences. Um, and that is ultimately a pity. You know, it is a shame that we don't understand the importance of biodiversity. You know, and the importance of diversity, and the importance of differences the importance of uniqueness and individuality in relationship, perhaps even to the community that we might inherently desire. So yeah, there we go. (laughs) I, I don't think I can add anything else into that, but you raise a great point that, you know, why can't they, why can't people grasp this, you know, uh, when, when they see it. And I didn't expect a conversation about the chicken osaur to go that direction, but there it landed. So. <laughs> <laughs> the chicken is landed. <laughs> the chicken is. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, anyway, any other thoughts you, you have on the chicken osaur? Well, so many, but it's it's late. We've been talking for a long time. I, I think it's time to wrap it up. Yeah, this is another long episode, two and a half hours. So anyway, Ellen, your brilliance is always shines, even in an audio format. Uh, which <laughs> Thank you. shouldn't be able to shine, but somehow it does. I know it's you amazing. can't see this, but I'm taking a bow. Mm. tipping my cap (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) anyway uh yes we will wrap up this episode of sovereign tech and uh well we'll have you on again far sooner i think than anybody will expect so we will see all of you on the other side thank you for listening to sovereign tech and osiris one production Now go out there and make some trouble. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Ce soir, en tête à tête, <laughs> avec Brian et Ellen. <laughs> the fuck <laughs> <laughs> just we français are you turning me on <laughs>